Restart the podcast, Jesus Christ! It was cold. I think it was really cold in there in that particular attic. Right? Why? Uh, Wasn't it? I always imagined that it was winter time <laughs> for Anne Frank. Always a winter of the soul. All of World War II was just the winter. Constantly. It was all winter. It was a mini ice age. Yeah, yeah slush. Yes. Only slush. <laughs> Only brown slush for everybody. Uh, anyway, everyone. Uh, hey. Welcome to Whoa, the motherfucking Spinecrackers podcast now. Yeah. What color is everyone's Whoa. energy today? What color is my energy today? My energy well, today... it's green because we're both wearing green shirts. That's today. true. Me and Paul are both wearing green shirts, so I guess green. What does that mean? Uh, you dumb Gabe should idiots. know because of uh, <laughs> uh, magic cards. What does green mean in magic cards? It's, it's not about it. It's not, well, it's in magic, green is normally like the you know it's forest it's, earthy it's, yeah it's earth and nature and like using it's it's usually a lot of big powerful expensive creatures and then like ways of trying to tr- cheat them out early before you should be able to and stuff like that isn't, yeah. isn't green like kind of the hufflepuff of magic no dude oh that we doesn't even this, like 3 years ago I can't remember. I mean, well, does the sorting hat apply to magic when it's literally it's like, called magic? No, Gabe, you and I had this conversation when yeah, I was. Yeah, you're right. I do and remember. And you were like, you were like, I think actually. that magic has a better sorting hat system than Harry Potter. Oh, there's, there's no like question two extra, about that. There's two extra whatever Yeah, there's categories. five in magic. Five. I mean, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you did talk about this. We did. Yeah, it was like three years ago. What else is it? Green, blue, red, white, and black. Yeah. So, I was like, a black and I was black and green. Black and green, cool. What's yeah. that? I forget what the combos are called. I haven't actually played Magic in a while. I mean, it's also changed since like I played lot. it. Like the even the whole entire like existential strategy or whatever of of you choosing, and then the combos themselves have like guild names. I I, I don't yes. I don't know. Right. They I don't do, know. They do now. I uh, played it in the fucking 90s, literally. <laughs> wow. I was a child. I was playing it, and then I played it a little bit in the 2000s. I, was, I stopped. That's tight. I actually, well, that, I only ever played it <coughs> time, honestly. It's fucking too expensive, dude. It's crazy how expensive that yeah, shit is. Yeah, true that. You gotta, like, buy that. cards? To make, like, to one packs. decent, like, yeah, but that's, if you want to actually play, like, not even competitively, but just have, like, a deck that is playable... Even against like a casual person at like a comic shop or something, it's like you don't. It's pointless to buy packs. You just have to buy all the individual cards 
for a, uh, for a deck. And it's it's like to make like a deck, it's like fucking six hundred dollars or some shit probably. That's crazy. Maybe it's quite not quite that expensive, but it's a lot of money because you need four copies of every card or two at least or whatever. So anyway, yeah. anyway, that's, anyway though, if there's any magic at the end of the podcast. Just but also, I wanted to say at the end of the podcast, we always sort the uh, characters of the book into Harry Potter houses. So yes, stick around. Stick around. For yeah, that. that's our end of the show segment. Uh, we just read another book where we get to talk about Harry Potter after doing our after after taking our medicine and eating our vegetables and reading a real book. <laughs> yes, which is how we regard everything we've ever we've encountered the whole time. It's like, fuck, dude. God, why? We got to read another fucking book. I just want to talk about Harry Potter. How is yeah. this about, what, like, what do we, would Dobby, th- I, I just all I care about. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Hagrid. Every book, they, every book <laughs> other than Harry Potter is just cauliflower. Just <laughs> 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 have to scarf it down with sweet potato fries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just right. so we can get to the Ben and Jerry's ice cream of the Fuck Harry yeah. Potter segment. Yeah. Yes. The, the chunky monkey of the Weasley twins or whatever. <laughs> chunky monkey. Uh, um, so, yeah, I'm Gabe, and that's my name. I'm Matt. Show. <laughs> I'm Paul. <laughs> and, yeah, this is a, the Spotcrackers podcast where we talk about a book every episode. Yeah. This is your book. This is my book. Yeah, this we are talking Gabe. about this evening. Gabe. Uh, it is David Diops, who is a French slash Senegalese author. His 2020 novel, At Night All Blood is Black, which um, won recently the 2021 International Booker Prize. Uh, which I didn't really, I thought the, I didn't know much about the Booker Prize in general, but I knew it was a prestigious literary award but i kind of thought it was always international i didn't know that there was like two categories like that to be fair yeah it's like that what other books man book the man booker prize is that what it's fully called i think so yeah and then the it didn't win they might have dropped that because it's just the booker prize it's the booker prizes now sure uh and then the what the prix de goncourt i thought that that was also won by this book is that not true I yes. just make that I don't, up because it's no, French. No, no, nope, that's right. I, but I don't know much about that. It's a, do you? It's a French, I know it's a French literary award. I know, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so it's a, a relatively highly decorated novel from 2020. And um, yeah, that's, I picked it to read. <laughs> just what made you pick it? Yeah. <laughs> well, a couple of things. I picked, I picked it to read. <laughs> yeah. Podcast Motherfuckers. Start, yeah. <laughs> can elaborate. Um, I mean, a, a couple things. One, probably like the main, <laughs> the main reason was I like I checked earlier today. This is only going to be like the fourth book that we've read on the show that was published like after 2000. Basically, we, yeah. we, we skew pretty heavily towards... Um, not like classics or super old shit, but you know the recent past. The the the, the yeah the the recent past the nineteen hundreds. Uh, so I was going through. There's really only like a few. It was like what it would be like luster, luster mezzanine. The mez- no, the mezzanine was late nineties, I think. Oh yeah, it was eight eighties. So might even been eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, right. Um. Uh, so yeah, luster, 
I think uh, Killing Tremendatore. Uh, the uh, the band that you both like, that guy. The we didn't do the, do the show. We didn't do an episode. Oh shit! That was wow. before the show. Damn. Yeah, John Darnielle. I'm book. all fucked up. That was Sorry. before we started doing the show. So yeah, and then well, like, Quellbeck. Quellbeck. Yep. Um, there was I think there was one more, but I forget. It's gonna bug me. The, that, point being, the point being, few. Yeah, the point being, not a not a large number, um, and so I wanted to, you know, try to uh, uh, I don't know, like get some more recent shit up in here. So I kind of went poking around for something that I thought might work well for the show and we might enjoy or whatever, or that I just wanted to read. And I saw that this one, I think I saw some reviews on YouTube and it's sort of a, got like a, a minor level of hype around it, obviously, like winning these awards and so on and so forth. And I thought, yeah, sure, let's try that one. Um, and it looked interesting and the title was catchy. I was ear catchy. True. And, uh, Ear catching, I guess, and um, so mine's mine's ear. So that's it. Those are the there's there's no no personal deep story or anything. But I wanted, wanted to get a new book. This one looked cool and had a good title and a cool cover. Right? You can't see it, but the cover is like I like a lot actually. Oh, that is cool. I kind of wish I bought this one physically. I yeah. Do that. Anyway, so that yeah, that's why. Um, and. Uh, it, it's it's a very short book. It's like what 140 pages or something. Um, yeah, it does fall into like you were saying, like almost. I don't know what a novella is yeah, officially, yeah, yeah. but it feels like a little more like that. We've talked about this before on the show, like what where the line is exactly, and I'm sure there is some technical one, but I don't know what it is. Um, but it feels like a short novel to me. Ooh, <laughs> it feels like a short novel to you, not a novella. Mm. Oh. I'm gonna look it up right now. It's definitely short. Whatever you want to say about it, you know, short and it, and it flies by. There's a lot of. It's broken up into a bunch of chapters and a lot of. You know, it goes by real fast. Um, How about if a, if a if a book is French and it's short, it can be novella because of Nutella. <laughs> is Nutella even French? I, I don't think. Nutella I don't think French. it is. Oh my god! I think I learned about it in French class. Um, okay, here's the really awesome helpful. Shit, here's a really helpful definition in, at the uh, the Oxford. Oh my god, it's Italian. <laughs> yeah, Nutella is Italian. N- Fuck, it's it's Italian. Yeah, <laughs> I'm about to tell you something, and it's a Italian. <laughs> Novella means uh, a short a short novel or a long story. Thanks a lot. That's the, the worst <laughs> definition I've ever heard in my life. So basically, nobody knows. Jesus, that's They're, entirely unhelpful. It's like uh, the definition of porn by that one judge. It's I know it you when know I see it. See it yeah. yeah, I feel like I feel like there's a like a gray zone. There's like obviously anything under like 120 pages. I would say is like a novella, and then anything like like for sure that's like a hard cutoff, and then like anything over like 180 or 170 is mm. obviously a novel and then there's like this to reference the book there's like this no man's land in the in the middle uh where it can kind of go either way right it's i think like, from now on i'm gonna do mama bear papa bear baby bear yeah yeah this feels like teenage bear <laughs> so there's a fourth one in there Teen bear. so is that mama bear basically in the goldilocks metric 
No, I'm saying there's a new category. It's baby bear, teenage bear. Actually, mama growing bear boy bear. Sense. Growing bear, yeah. Growing bull, yeah, that's it. <laughs> mama bear doesn't make sense? Well, why Why is the the female gender lesser? Well, it's not. A, it, listen, we don't have to get political. This is weird. That, that <laughs> <just, we're laughs> We're just, it's just Goldilocks, dude. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, I don't want this podcast to get political at all. So this book is about colonized black soldiers in World War I. (laughs) 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 Yeah. uh, But but yes, that is actually what the book's about. It follows a, 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 a Senegalese soldier in the French army during World War I. Named Alpha Ndiaye, that's how I would pronounce it. Uh, and um, he, it sort of tells the story of, you know, this is you know, obviously all of our podcasts are full spoilers, but, uh, and this is not really a spoiler, it happens like on the first fucking page, but he witnesses his friend, um, Mademba Diop, uh, who's a childhood right. friend. Already. Already ears pricked just because of the surname being the same as the author's. Right, right, yeah. And um, so he witnesses Mademba very brutally die on the battlefield in, in World War One. It's not exactly clear where they are, like, geographically for most of the yeah. fighting, whether they're in, in France. I don't know, I don't know enough I about World that... War I to say where it plausibly could have been. Like where France I think that they fought. say it was it, it they were in France. Okay, so, yeah, I think that I makes think sense. I think I remember that, but I might be wrong. Um, so we'll just say they're in France. Uh, if you could find that, that'd be great, Paul, because I wasn't sure. Um, but uh, so he witnesses Mademba die very brutally on the battlefield, be disemboweled by a bayonet, basically, and um, it takes him you know hours to die, basically. And the whole time he's begging Alpha to just put him out of his misery and kill him. And Alpha cannot bring himself to do it. Um, and then Mademba ultimately dies. And uh, the rest of the novel is sort of about Alpha dealing with that experience and the war in general. And, and sort of how, uh, you know, managing his guilt and trauma from this, from this moment. And he, he takes it in some uh, weird directions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just at the the, the infamous Western Front okay. for this, yeah. which is like, you know, a 500-mile span of territory. I don't, I don't know exactly where they could be. But, yeah, seems to be primarily German aggression. Mag- the Maginot Line? Is that a thing? That's definitely a thing. Is that and World War One? Uh, yes. I think so, right? Battle of Verdun. These are things that I'm reading. Man, I, I mean, American history really did a disservice to us. The I, <laughs> I don't know fucking anything about World War One. basically. Me either. It was just, yeah. Or Franz Ferdinand. That's what I know. Yeah. And a bunch <laughs> of people the... pulling in their, like, a bunch of, like, low-key ally ships coming into play when it came to like who was against who right. and like a bunch of favors being called in in a domino kind of effect yes yes and i know that like anecdotally 
the British and a lot of people that joined the war thought it was going to be like a game of racquetball, basically. Like they, had, <laughs> they had no idea that the horrors they were about to face. Right. With gas yeah. and trenches. Well, I think I, it's significant. Yeah, go ahead, man. Oh, no, and 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 this 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 novel is, like, definitely reckoning way more with this just, like, weird new mode of brutality and violence. Yes, yes. That seems to be its, like, primary focus is, like, th- th- there is, like... I really liked the way this thing just shifted registers, like, in a sequence that felt really like um effectively off-putting and putting you on your on your back feet where like yeah i don't know i yeah so it's like the 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 no man's land and this just kind of like the trench warfare shit uh is the catalyst setting for what i would regard as probably the more important back half yeah yeah so yeah, the book is, it's not like formally split in two in any way, like um, Correction was last week, but there are basically two kind of distinct, arguably three, because there's a long yeah. section where they talk about the, the uh, Alpha and Mademba's childhood back in Senegal, a couple long chapters about that, um, but in, in the real time of the novel... There's ba- excuse me. There's basically two. <laughs> We're very serious literary and now analysts. So the horrors of war, <laughs> um, where the, the first half is is about Alpha's experiences on the front and him dealing with what he sees and with Madema's death and what he starts doing is sort of either staying on the field of battle after the whistle's been blown, essentially, which I did not know. That's how they, like, did it in World War One. Just, like, yeah. hey, yeah. whistled our... It's like a fucking gym teacher. Like, wh- whistle how, and then run out and then whistle and come back. It's weird how they had not evolved like that, though. Because, like, when you think back to the Revolutionary War, it was even more of a gym class thing. It was like, we're going to stand in freaking blocks of humans and it's our turn to shoot and now and then next right. it'll be your turn to shoot it's like dodgeball <laughs> well and i think well, like you're, you're part of part of yeah. the oh just like part of the victory was like not doing that on the american side you know right just saying fuck it yeah just yeah. gorilla style fuck it we're gonna we're gonna go ham um and i think you're right earlier matt pointing out the sort of like reckoning with the new sort of form of warfare because of course like world war one is basically what kicked off modernism as a trend in literature or as a as an era like yeah. we talked a little yeah. bit about in the virginia wolf episode where people are sort of the culture was just sort of trying to reckon with like what the fuck just happened because um, paul's right it, it like even though like you know the american revolution you know so much longer ago uh kind of was already should have been you know, one of one of many kicks in the face that make people realize that you can't just like you can't just have a gentleman's, you know, I don't know, war. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, but I, I think you're right that there was still just this kind of like lingering notion of of um, warfare done proper. Right. That yeah. that still like necessitated the whole wave structure 
and yeah, the the fucking dodgeball gym class, like just like, okay, everyone, you everyone take your shot, and now we're gonna stand still and wait, and you know that's the nice thing to do, and just I'm like on the red team, and you're on the blue team. Yes, red versus blue, uh, rooster teeth, and uh, <laughs> yeah, shout out rooster teeth. That is deep, dude. You know, just and and, and that leading to. The, some of the you know the highest body count until that point ever seen By <laughs> basically a lot. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's really one of the things that I thought was really interesting about this book is that you know it's still this book is still sort of illustrating that there are aspects of World War One that we have not yet fully grappled with even today and specifically in this book which is I would say not like a foregrounded topic, but something that is baked into the story and is unavoidable. The use of colonial soldiers, colonized soldiers by the combatants in World War II. In this case, it's France who had colonized Senegal using Senegalese uh, troops. Um, and that, like, that's something that I didn't really know happened. Uh, and I think that sort of the way he brings it out is, you know, subtle. Like I said, it's not like this, it's not a big statement per se about that happening, but it's an unavoidable sort of component of the story. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting because I didn't know. And, and, the, and the way the way he describes <clears throat> kind of the, the rationale or the motivation for... Uh, at least on the battlefield, for them doing that was really dark, which is that, you know, they would give these these men from Africa, these soldiers from Africa, like, machetes along with their guns to, like, and tell them to, like, yell and scream to, like, play up the, like, savage, scary, you know... Cannibal. Part of Africa. Cannibals, Africa, yeah. yeah. Um, to try to, you know, intimidate or scare the other side. And apparently it was pretty effective, actually. Um, really, uh, in terms of scaring the the Germans in this context. Yeah, yeah, they were. That was their you know specific strategic role. Um, although there, I, you know, the other benefits that were potentially weighed or, or you know dangled in front of them. It's unclear to me what those might be, or if there was even a choice, really, or you were just kind of conscripted. I, I, I you know, right. that's something that again, I knew there, I knew there were black soldiers, you know, uh, and you know, uh, they they get brought up a lot of the time in just sort of like references to the hypocrisy and and uh, you know the 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 fact of the the continuing inequality. Right, just sort of lingering in spite of like, you know, kind of one of suppo supposedly the greatest and most fundamental acts of patriotism <laughs> being rendered and still nothing, you know, still nothing. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was one thing that was not clear to me. And, and I'm sure if we just did, if I just did some more research, it would be become clear. But it, even going in the, in the flashback scenes when we're back in Senegal talking about, you know, between um, Alpha and Mademba before they go to the war. Yeah, like you said, Matt, it's not clear if they kind of like. I'm I'm assuming they were all forcefully brought and conscripted. No, no, you know what? Actually, no. I think it, I, I they weren't. I think it was Mademba who, 
wanted to the most. And it and it was and it was literally, I think, for the pensions, which in Senegal would have gone a much longer route, like really, you know, way. It was for citizenship. They wanted citizenship in France. I think that was part of it, also. Yeah, I forgot. I had forgotten about that scene, but there's a scene, yeah, where Mademba uh, initially is uh, turned away because he's too scrawny and and little, right? And then he. You know, basically forces them to let him into the army. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. But the 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 insinuation there being that Mademba is always um, behaving in reaction to Alpha, and you know, Alpha ends up feeling. You know, the, again, the latter half of the book has them almost merging as spirits, and so like in the first half. You just see more and uh, more or less like they're, you know, they're uh, my they're my more than brother, right? Is is the term for whatever their relationship is, and uh, yeah, Mademba is reacting almost constantly to Alpha, who sort of with such ease and just naturalness, kind of kind of gets a lot of the things that uh, Mademba is jealous about and and wishes he could. But he's kind of like an athlete. He gets the girl that Mademba likes. Yeah, I want. I wonder if in Big a deal. Jordan Peterson cringe way, <laughs> the name Alpha is not accidental. I don't think I it actually, is. I don't think it is either. I thought it was very intentional, and almost in like a darkly humorous intent. Yes. Yeah, it seemed almost like yeah, a joke for sure. Because there's some absurd passages where he's just Alpha's just like, I am handsome. I have massive succulent pecs. Yes. I have. Yeah. I have amazing thighs. Everyone that looks at me knows that I'm handsome. His yeah. smile is apparently really awesome. Yeah. My yeah. dazzling smile. smile. Every woman looks at the how, middle of my body. Every, yes. It's amazing how white my teeth are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I did want to go back for a second about what, Gabe, what you were saying about, or what we were just talking about, how um, they, they both end up joining the army, not for, like, uh, the typical kind of sappy, like, I love my country type ways that you see in a lot of... At least movies. Like I'm thinking of Platoon. It's like I, you know, the bl- black characters in that movie seem to just be like, at least from what I remember, they're just like I. They're they're like patriotic, and they love their country regardless of the racism that they are succumbed to. But I thought that it was very smart to ground the reasoning for joining the army in in a very personal kind of selfish realistic way of just like i want citizenship i want a pension right so i'm going to join for that reason and i'm mostly because like i know someone uh i'm not going to name them who basically joined the army for the same way and fought in afghanistan and absolutely went crazy (laughs) and like has horrible ptsd he's like a raging alcoholic his wife left him uh, he's like alienated, like, and I could see that kind of descent, realistic descent into madness, um, with Alpha. I mean, maybe not totally realistic. He kind of becomes a, I don't know if you guys think this, but a little bit of a psychopath, it, at it, least tendencies. It, yeah, it, it definitely gets weird. Although you know, I don't, I've never, I don't have PTSD. Obviously, I've never been in war, so I don't know. I just don't really know enough about it to, to comment on how like realistic it is the portrayal you know what i mean yeah but it, well, felt, it felt very realistic to me i'll say that well but it's funny that you say the word like realistic when the uh the novel in order to like create a mirror 
of a like incredibly tragically real event in human history uh as mirrored in i i didn't che- i didn't check but like uh, a senegalese folktale mm. like like every everything gets completely mirrored into a pre-existing old senegalese folktale that they knew even before they left as children um are you talking so about you, the, the, the lion and the prince? The lion sorcerer yeah, and the princess, yeah, yeah the, the fickle princess and all that. Right. And, like, you know, everyone gets a role in that folktale. So you, I think that's the the two-act structure is, like... or the, You're right, there's, like, kind of three, but, like, um, all the things that occur find their mirror in a fictional tale, but it's just made real through the vehicle of, like, World War One. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really liked about this book was it does, you were talking earlier a little bit, Matt, about the tone and, the, and sort of the tonality of, of the, the book and how it shifts from this kind of like, yeah, there's these sort of like folkloric aspects. The writing, I would argue, is very like rhythmic and almost like, you know, I, I, it's, 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 cause there's repeated, there's one specific phrase that gets repeated over and over, like damn near on every page. Um, yep. because it's alpha narrating and, and he just intersperses his narration with the phrase God's truth. Um, yeah. like just like trying to emphasize how real and true that everything is, which I think is an interesting tactic that, that Diop uses in the writing. We can probably talk more about it, but you know, just in general, like the whole feel of the book, specifically the war scenes at the beginning, but also in, in, in the, in the end, which gets very strange. It does for me, like, the best, the best sort of war media does, like war films and, and other novels and so on, which is ride that line between like insanely brutal and, you know, quote unquote gritty, a term that I hate, realism yeah. about war with this sort of surreal, like bizarre, deeply unreal quality that it inevitably has. You know, like, like your Apocalypse Nows or... You know, yeah, the Burmese harp or like, or, or like Come and See, which is one of my other favorite war films. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, all of those films do that so well where it's so real that it is that it tip, starts to tip into the unreal, you know? And there's all these weird, you know, uh, uh, you know, details where, for example, like his fellow soldiers, Alpha's fellow soldiers after a time get superstitious about him because uh you know what he's doing to sort of avenge Mademba or whatever is he sneak basically sneaks across enemy lines at night and kidnaps an enemy soldier and tortures them and then cuts off their hand and brings it back to to his camp um and they start to view him as almost this supernatural figure like this demon or this cursed like what do they call him they call him a uh what is like a sorcerer like a, a dem doctor, soldier, a, yeah, D E M M, yeah, a soul eater, yes. Which I think of Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver, epic game, <laughs> gamer, epic gamer moment. So yeah, I, I felt like this book did that that sort of thing really well. Yeah, I, I think that it, what it really did well too is like um, dive into the morality of just killing people in war too. Like there's a great few pages or there's maybe one chapter where he, he, he dives into 
um, basically his commanders being freaked out by the way like at first like after i think he says like after the first three hands everyone was like patting me on the back even though i was covered with blood and mud because i've been out all night like hunting a, a man but like he said like after the fifth one or something people started to fear him and he, right. he starts diving into um the need for madness in a soldier um but once it goes past a certain point you become like it, it's like too much for the 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 higher ups. It's like <laughs> you're 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 you've, you're killing people and you're like striking fear in our enemy, but you're also striking fear in our soldiers uh, and on our own side. And I don't know. I I like the discussion of like, well, what the fuck is war? It, it is murdering people, right? Uh, so no matter what, it is horrible. So why why are there lines drawn? Well, and, and I think it, it goes yeah. back to like the gentlemanness of yes. war, um, which I think is obviously like a the most backward statement possible. I mean, it's murder. You're <laughs> every soldier that's killed anyone has murdered people, mm-hmm. um, and I, I think it's always been interesting to me to think about how like the human race as a whole has always looked past that, or like the majority of humans have looked past that and been like. Well, it's just war, so we're and, look and past I think the morality you're, of it. you're exactly right about the like gentleman's war thing here too, because his his commanding officer, Captain uh, Armand, I think. Yeah. Captain Armand, you know, that's basically what he says to him when he's ultimately sent to the the back, uh, where where he's supposed to get, you know, ostensibly some sort of mental health care or whatever, because he's cutting off these hands. And Armand says at one point, you're like, this is just not how it's done. Like, this is just not what we're, what we do. Um, which of course is cruelly ironic because Armand is also like deeply, deeply disturbing as a character in a lot of ways. Like one of the, one of the darkest scenes in the book is, uh, there were, there's a group of soldiers who at one point, are like, dude, fuck this. We're not gonna go. <laughs> we're not gonna go fight today. When he blows yeah. the whistle, and he's like, uh, "Are you? You're disobeying an order, right? Are you, are you disobeying my order?" And he ties their hands behind their backs and makes them climb the trenches and run into the battlefield with their hands tied behind their backs. And his speech, which gets back to what we were talking about earlier a little bit, is explicitly references like uh if you guys hey you can do that you don't have to do this but if you don't i'm gonna kill you anyway and i'm gonna tell everyone you know that you were a coward and died like a coward and your wives and mothers are not going to get any pension money and they're you're not you're not going to get you know any posthumous awards or anything uh and they all do it except for one i think yeah That's yeah horrible. i armand yeah Ar- well, yeah, Armand is is explicitly like described as um, in, liking the pretense of the rules of war, uh, in order to maintain the legitimacy of war and not reveal the truth about like the fundamentals of it, which Alpha represents, uh, because Armand is even worse than Alpha. He is like a fucking, you know. Love. He's called. Okay, so I I actually have this uh, marked up. Um, Captain Armand 
is a small man with matching black eyes drowning in continuous rage. His matching black eyes are full of hate for anything that isn't war. For the captain, life is war. The captain loves war the way men love a capricious woman. The captain indulges war shamelessly. He showers war with presents. He spoils her with countless soldiers' lives. The captain is a devourer of souls. I know, I understand that Captain Armand was a dim who needed his wife, war, to survive, just the way she needed a husband like him to support her. I know, I understand that Captain Armand could, uh, would n do whatever possible to continue to make love to war. I understand that he saw me as a dangerous rival who could spoil his whole love affair with war. Yes. So, Ar Armand, Captain Armand. Armand wants to fuck war. He wants to fuck <laughs> trenches. Well, God. that that's actually an so important point, Paul, because the trenches are described over and over again as like gaping, wounds like women, of the earth like what the yeah, yeah, just big vaginas being open. I Armand mean, fucking loves the smell of napalm in the morning. <laughs> he does. I mean, like, yeah, the trenches are are you know described as women's genitalia. Tell you, and these uh, these uh, men are are born basically like every day, multiple times a day, to go do the opposite and die. I mean, it, I, it's almost heavy-handed, you know, a little bit. I would say. I um, I, I just wanted to read because I found that passage that you were referencing earlier, Paul, and I wanted to read it about madness in war because I think oh, cool, it speaks yeah. to some of this as well. Um, don't tell me we don't need madness on the battlefield. God's truth, the mad, the mad fear nothing. The others, white or black, play at being mad, perform madness so that they can calmly throw themselves in front of the bullets of the enemy on the other side. It allows them to run straight at death without being too afraid. You'd have to be mad to obey Captain Armand when he whistles for the attack, knowing there's almost no chance you'll come home alive. God's truth, you'd have to be crazy to drag yourself screaming out of the belly of the earth the bullets from the enemy on the other side, the giant seeds falling from the metallic sky. They aren't afraid of screams. They aren't afraid to pass through heads, flesh, to break bones, and to sever lives. Temporary madness makes it possible to forget the truth about bullets. Temporary madness in war is bravery's sister. But when you seem crazy all the time, continuously, without stopping, that's when you make people afraid, even your war <laughs> brothers. And that's when you stop being the brave one, the death defier and become instead the true friend of death. It's accomplice. It's more than brother. Yeah, I love that line. Um, the the brother of bravery. Ma yeah, madness is, is, is bravery's madness. sister or whatever, yeah. That's so, that's so good. I was thinking of um, Septimus a little bit, too, with uh, Alpha. Yeah, know, from, from, from uh, Mrs. Dalloway. Dalloway. Yeah. Just in the way he's he's reacting to the death of somebody very close to him, in this almost in this almost you know, spiritual awakening, uh, where him, himself and like his like body and subjectivity and all this are are starting to like lose their substance, and he's starting to like merge with people in this almost like uh, you know. I don't know, godlike way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where he thinks he's like seeing through something. Like he's like, it's a revelation to him when his friend dies. He's like, you know, I didn't. You might. I saw my friend die horrifically, and like he's he's kicking himself from the fact that he did not uh, do what his friend asked 
and like which was slit his throat. Yeah, the friend wanted to die, and he was he didn't do it. And then like a, a big refrain early on is like you know I finally learned to think for myself. If were I what I was am now, I would have you know killed him on his first, uh, you know, sort of begging to be killed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, I think we should major themes of the book, I think is Alpha's kind of, like you said, Matt, his like awakening. And I think the, the, the revelatory aspect of the, re, the, the refrain, like God's truth, God's truth, God's truth. He's like, it's this, I, I get it now. I, the phrase that he uses over and over again is that I, I, I now allow myself to think anything I want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Descent into psychopathy. I think we maybe should talk a little bit in detail about what he does to the seven soldiers yeah. that he ends up hunting. Cause, uh, it's, it's like, I think like you said, Gabe in the beginning, like the way he copes with his loss is very, very strange. I mean, he, he watches his friend die by basically being like his guts were out of his body. And I, I don't know if they ever clearly say how he just got shot in his guts, bayonet, whatever it was a bayonet. Yeah. Um, so what he does, to the seven soldiers he ends up killing and taking the hands of is he hunts them. He slashes their knee behind their knees to make them like incapacitated binds them. Um, and it, like the chapter where it, he's describing the process of his murder murderings is like serial killer killer level yeah. mind hunter i saw the devil type Definitely. brutality <laughs> yeah like, I, ju I just watched i saw the devil again because i'm in halloween mode and i was thinking about that a lot um it has a lot of parallels actually but i mean he ends up what like exposing their be their white bellies and he talks about like staring into their blue eyes and he, he disembowels them like, like amand or uh madembe yeah, but he, yeah, it's just like that whole chapter where he's describing like the looks on their faces and the their eyes like fading when he, when they know they're going to die is just like absolutely insane. But he, yeah, he ends up disemboweling them, laying next to them sometimes as they're dying yeah. and then slitting their throat, which is what he didn't do to uh, his friend. I can't think of his name. Madamba. Yeah. yeah. And he talks about like how he actually is bringing out his own humanity by slitting their throats. So like because it's so mind, twisted because in his mind his sort of traditional beliefs about morality in the moment of Mademba's death and his failure to kill him prevented him from being fully human in that moment, right? And so it's this it's this sort of thing about you know traditional morality kind of clouding his his human kind of intuition which is like put this guy out of his misery and i think that that like you said paul it gets twisted into this really dark logic about where humanness comes from and and like what what the nature of hum, like humanity is and, and morality which i think is one of the biggest themes about the book for me is that like war ends up twisting morality right it's like it's inevitable and it gives birth to unique ideas of indi individuals' morality. Um, and it, it turns into absolute madness, but it, it, war ends up 
weirdly giving birth to new ideas and new thoughts about morality. Yes. Shout out to Fallout. War is, war is hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> or war never changes, whatever. Yeah. I have that I, passage. Or go ahead, Matt. No, I, I was just thinking, you know, because like you were saying, war leads to new ideas. You know, you said about morality, but just you, earlier we, we said, you know, that this this first big global cl- conflagration like led to modernism um, and these like new approaches to all different artistic mediums in general. Uh, and I think that's part of the same idea, right? Like you see this rupture and um, presupposition, stability, morality included in that uh, are gone. And you and a bunch of people are are left to to kind of just reckon with what what just happened and what it means. Um, and part of modernism that I think is interesting is like I I feel like it was still people kind of looking to see whether or not things from the past um, and an existing culture uh, could could lend a hand and like be helpful in in their coping with with like the trauma. Uh, which is why I think in this book you see the shift to a like old old folktale, an old Senegalese right. folktale. Yeah, and we we saw that in 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 Wolf too, like the the sort of thinking back to old resources to help make sense of current traumas and struggles, uh, but but also trying to you know reappropriate or or you know use them in a different way, potentially. And I think... Right. Uh, one of the reviews that I saw on YouTube by um, a guy, I don't know his name, but the channel is KD Books. Um, Shout-outs to KD Books. Uh, you should come yes. on the show. Uh, he sort of argued that this book is actually a modernist novel. And for him, that was kind of a negative because he thought it wasn't, you know, uh, whatever. Um, but w- would you guys say this is a modernist novel in that sense? Uh, in some ways, yeah. Um, maybe that's why I liked it, though. Maybe that's why it's one of the post two thousand books that I ended up liking. Um, but yeah, I've, I feel like it has a lot of modernist ideal. I, I feel like this book could have been written post World War One, like directly post. It, it, it felt like of that time. Actually, it didn't feel like a, a recent book to me. Um. I can't really point to exactly how it fits into modernism. I'm not like well versed enough to know, but it, uh, in my in my basic viewpoint, I would say yes, it felt modernistic. Yeah, I'd, I'd say it fits into that mold. Um, but I also kind of like if we want to shout out another booktube channel, Orpheus. Shout outs. Uh, he 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 was sort of come on ex- the show. He, he, yeah, come on the show, bro. He was expressing the doubts about whether or not um, modernism has actually, like, whether or not modernism is has not just sort of been kind of what's been going on still, even with the, like, notional, like, postmodern turn. Yeah. Has modernism I'm, even been, been fully exhausted? Right. And, yeah. and I'm kind of sympathetic to that uh, interpretation of things. Yeah. 
There's a, it reminded me, I was thinking about this a lot because I watched that review and, you know, started thinking about this book in the context of modernism, but it, it reminded me of, and I don't know if you guys have read this, but it's a, it's a short story. It's not a short story. It's like, it's like, I guess we'd probably call it microfiction these days. It's like th two pages, two or mm -hmm. three pages by um, uh, Maurice Blanchot who is someone that I really like is his both his fiction and his uh, you know literary criticism and philosophy but it's called the instant of my death and um, Derrida wrote like a whole book on this story but the story itself is about a guy I think it's World War two uh, who is about to be executed by a firing squad and uh, it it touched in some ways on this book, specifically the very end to me, there were some resonances because a lot of that book is about this guy kind of like having this, uh, again, like this borderline religious, like out of body, like I am not, I, I am not, I'm no longer self-identified with myself sort of experience. Um, and Blanchot, the reason I bring it up is because Blanchot is often sort of lumped in or, or considered to be more of a postmodern thinker. Right. Um, and I, I was sort of, you know, maybe, maybe we'll do a little Patreon video or something where we all read that story and talk about it in connection with this book. But um, I just thought it was an interesting sort of juxtaposition between that approach and what we might argue is a modernist approach here. But what, what, is a, what would you say is like, um, I don't know, this hyper simplified thrust of the Blanchot story? I mean, the, the, have you not read it? Yeah, it's it's sort of it's very like it's, it's experiential, right? It's about like this moment of death, and then I think ultimately the soldier is actually saved in the story. Um, but it becomes this, and and then he goes on to sort of live his life, and there's some brief like discussion about it. But he always carries this moment of dying with him, and sort of believes himself in the rest of his life to be dead. And, and the last line of the story is, is um, I am alive, no, you are dead. And it's sort of this like talking to himself with these like dual identities, one alive, one dead, which is basically what happens at the end of this book, except it's, a, you know, it's not one person, it's two people, it's Medemba and Alpha. And Medemba sort of comes to be in Alpha. We don't really know exactly what happens. Yeah. Um, but it's these, this dead and alive identities sort of conversing with one another and trying to kind of make sense of, of their experiences in war. Yeah, that's like, uh, it's interesting to me because like in some ways modernism is kind of like an epilogue for the prior history of for humanity, right? It's just like we're we're like almost we reached a point where everything became so fucking terrible that uh it, it's almost like a lot of what we were as humans might have been like killed off so we are kind of like living with the dead even like since world war one it's like we're, we're living with this dead idea of what how things used to be and we all kind of feel this deadness um and i think it, it, it's kind of there's proof uh by this book still considered to be a modernist book potentially that that idea is still resonating with a lot of people. And even though we, I mean, obviously we're so young, we didn't live through the initial startings of, of this kind of feeling 
in our society, but it's like it's 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 within us. Maybe. I mean, and, I, yeah, go ahead. Man. Oh, and, and just like you know, I I think as far as Diop goes, the writer, who again, you know, the implications of one of the characters who. I don't know if there's a way to confirm whether or not uh, Diop is actually writing about uh, Mademba being uh, uh, a, a literal ancestor, potentially, of the writer. I'm not, I don't know about that. It's possible. But um, Diop is a, uh, what, an 18th century literature PhD or something? Yeah, he's a professor of, of I think, yeah, I think, I think that's right, man, 18th century literature or something like that. Did he have succulent pecs and a handsome smile? I, he's a good-looking guy. He's a good-looking guy. He's handsome. He's I don't guy. know if his. I don't know if he has like a six-pack. I don't know about stuff. His pecs, but. Yeah, he looks pretty <laughs> average on that department, but he's like a scholarly in a handsome way. Yes, that's right. Hot <laughs> yeah, hot hey, for teacher. Dave. Yeah. What's up, Dave? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So that uh, you're exactly right, Matt. 18th century French literature is kind of his academic specialty. So, you know, again, not my specialty. So, not sure um, what in that can be picked up in this. But do we have specialties? No. <laughs> no. Over time, the point. Yeah. Over time, we probably will. We'll, 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 be, we'll all be specialists on the show. We're all special. We're all, we're definitely all special. <laughs> That's true. Thank you. Shout yeah. yes. out to Steve from Blues Clues for reminding me of that this week. Yeah, thank you, man. Yeah, that was epic. Um, I also loved your album with the flaming lips. Steve is an absolute giga chad. That shit was actually not bad. Um, I just wanted to go back a little bit and read this passage that Paul referenced um, about him killing his, what I think is his final kill. Um, this young, kind of innocent, scrawny soldier from the other side that he scoops up. Uh, because he sees he sees the smoke rising from his cigarette out of the trench at night with a guy standing guard. Uh, and this touches on a lot of the themes, I think, that we've already mentioned. So it's a little bit long, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> deal with it. Uh, deal with it. God's truth. The enemies on the other side were very tired. That night they lowered their guard after singing. I don't know why the little enemy soldier wasn't tired that night. Why he went to smoke his tobacco after his trench mates had gone to sleep. God's truth. It was faith that made me capture him and not someone else. It was written on high that it would be him I would find in the middle of the night in the hot pit of the enemy trench. Now I know, I understand that nothing is simple about what's written on high. I know, I understand, but I don't tell anyone because now I think what I want for no one but myself ever since Mademba Diop died. I believe I understand that what's written on high is only a copy of what man writes here below. God's truth. I believe that God always lags behind us. It's all he can do to assess the damage. He couldn't have waited. He couldn't have wanted me to catch the little blue-eyed soldier in the hot pit of the enemy trench. I don't believe the proprietor of the fourth hand in my collection had done anything wrong. Okay, so I guess this is only the fourth, the fourth kill. I could read it in his blue eyes when I gutted him in La Terre à Parsome, no man's land, as the captain said. I could see in his eyes that he was a good boy, a good son, still too young to have known a woman, but a good future husband, certainly. And here I had to fall on him, like death and destruction on innocence. That's war. It's when God lags behind the music of men, what he can't un when he can't untangle the threads of so many fates at the same time. God's truth, you can't blame God. Who's to say? <laughs> he, I love that line, at least. Yeah. So good. 
Who's to say he didn't want to punish the parents of the little enemy soldier by making him die at war by my black hand? Who's to say he didn't want to punish the little enemy soldier's grandparents because he'd run out of time to redress the suffering they'd caused their own children? Who's to say? God's truth. God may have lagged behind in his punishment of the little enemy soldier's family. I am well positioned to know that he did punish them, gravely, by punishing their son or grandson. Because the, enemy, because the enemy soldier suffered, as did the others, when I extracted the insides of his body to expose them to the air outside in a little pile next to his still living body. But I really did come to pity him very, very quickly. I minimized the punishment through him of his grandparents or parents. I let him beg me only once, tears in his eyes, before I finished him off. He could not have been the one who disemboweled my more than brother, Madame de Diop. He also could not have been the one who pulverized with a single shell the head of my friend Jean-Baptiste, the joker driven to despair by a perfumed letter. Joker. I know. I, that's part of why I wanted to read it. I'm not going to lie. The joker. That guy, that guy was the joker. Jean-Baptiste was the joker. Jean-Baptiste no, was, was definitely the joker. No World joke intended. Joker. Yeah. So he, Truly. Uh, just to explain. Well, someone explained who Jean-Baptiste was. Uh, he was just like uh, another soldier who, what he's described as like having too much fun because he ends up taking like one of the hands that Alpha uh, cuts off and like straps it to his helmet and starts like taunting the uh, German soldiers. And it gets to the point where like they know that the German soldiers are, they're like out to get him. Because like he's got a fucking hell, he's got a hand strapped to his helmet, and I, and I, just, and I think he uh, goes out of his way to prop up the middle finger on the hand, and then yes, like, that was my favorite. Wraps it around his helmet. He yeah. tapes a middle finger to the. He tapes a bird flying basically to the top of his helmet. So epic. Uh, but it's basically revealed that he has like a, a death wish, really, and he he wants to die. He's and sort of like enough, the, 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 only, the only like white French soldier who kind of gets what Alpha's doing, or to, from Alpha's perspective anyway, who sort yeah. of is, is kind of like on the level, and he's completely jokerfied. Like for well, he, he's be, on the, he, he gets He's in a suicide squad. Yeah. 100%. He gets jokerfied, though. And again, you were, you were describing like, you know, like... Uh, Alpha kills this soldier in retaliation and, you know, the description of him as having never known a woman. I, you know, I think, uh, I think sex, uh, is just a huge fucking through line, like huge. fucking absolute, like women and, uh, their role. I mean, it's like, it could be regarded as, as, uh, you know, I don't know, somewhat distasteful or problematic in some way, you know, I could definitely uh, see people feeling that way reading this book. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, one wants to think of a, the trench as some whore's vagina being, you know, spread open to discharge, you know, screaming soldiers. De- yeah, <laughs> screaming soldiers. Um, but you know, like uh, uh, even John Baptiste, he's jokerified because uh, he's being held together by the thought of a lovely young woman who will, you know, maybe be his wife or something. Uh, back home and the whole thing is like he was undone by what the, he calls a perfumed letter which uh, we assume is the like we're the up. like i can't wait for you yeah. to get back like i actually met someone else kind of message and that and then he's joke and he's jokerified immediately <laughs> like, instantly, like, jokerified. instantly like you know what gamer moment 
Yeah, epic. How about I'm an epic gamer and I uh, I strap cadaver parts to my body, <laughs> and in an attempt to commit suicide by a soldier. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's definitely very epic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but tomato town style. Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I, I guess maybe. Since you brought up sex, Matt, we should talk about um, talk about it a little more because let's I do. talk about sex, baby. <laughs> let's talk about you and me. <laughs> let's talk about all the. I don't know. I was I had I had something, but oh, you didn't even I'm make sorry. it to one verse. I'm sorry, dude. One verse, not even. It was gonna end with PTSD, and it was gonna be funny. Oh. Anyway, okay, well. so but uh, as I say, you, you think you're you're dead on that sex and and women and sort of the female is a huge well, through line. Through you know what I was thinking of, Gabe? <laughs> do I want it's, you to t- do I want you to say it? It's just you know, sex and death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only uh, two things worth writing about. That's right. Uh, yeah, <laughs> get that fucking coffee, people, because uh, your boy. You, <laughs> Your boy would love this book. It is about exactly sex and death. Yes. Although he wouldn't love it because it's about race. Yeah. <laughs> also. He'd miss a valence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he'd, he'd somehow find a way to not talk about that aspect of the book at all. In it's the played out. It's played out, dude. <laughs> yeah. And, and, Bloodless and, and played out. And sex and death are not at all. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but it is about that. But it is about that, for sure. Uh, and th- yes, there are so many, like, borderline offensive, uh, like, like graphic descriptions of, of female genitalia and analogies made to female genitalia that I think, you know, yeah, I, I could see that hitting people the wrong way, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, the end of the book which we'll probably talk about a lot more uh, because it's cryptic as fuck, um, yeah. involves, does involve a, a rape. Um, yeah. And it, it is not clear sort of how exactly it happens or what, well, it, it, what exactly happens because, okay, so the last couple chapters, I'll try to explain it briefly. The last couple chapters take on what, a, what seemed to me to be the, the the voice of like Mademba's reincarnated soul sort of talking about like, you know, it's a lot of stuff like, how did I get here? What body am I in? Like what's happening? Where I, where I was before, nobody had names, nobody had bodies. Like, and then there's this moment where he just kind of finds himself presumably in Alpha's body, I guess. Yeah. Uh, essentially, on top of um, the doctor at the hospital that he's at's daughter, who's also his assistant. Um, it's his daughter, right? Or is it his wife? Daughter. It's his daughter. It's his daughter. Yeah. Um, and you know, raping her, but always in his head, being like, "This is exactly correct," and like she she wanted this, and there's a reference to like a, her looking, or, you know. But it's weird because. Alpha mentions that she oh she was looking at the middle of my body earlier. Well, but, this but is then this it's is Mademba's mind that's doing the raping. It's very it's very complicated. And, and well, this is the thing. Scary. It's like you know, 
Alpha back in um, what's the name of the town that they're from? I for- I don't I don't remember. Gambiol, Gambiol, yeah, Gambiol, yeah, Gambiol, yeah. Gandiol, uh, Gandiol, yeah. My bad. Um. Right again. This is this is this is why you know the the whole thing about like losing your virginity, uh, you know, not not in the like fucking cringe way that a lot of people talk about that issue now, um, but as a kind of like christening and I don't know, it's very you know entering adulthood and yeah, very very symbolically charged moment. Um, Right, like Alpha. He he has sex with a uh, uh, right before leaving for war with a uh, woman named Fairy Thiam Thiam something like that, um, you know, and, and and even that moment is kind of adorably led up to and 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 touching in a way. You know, it's not Definitely. it's not violent in any in any sense, but you know, uh, they're like holding hands and stuff. Like don't they? They like hold. Yeah, hands they're 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 years. all hanging out with their friends, uh, and then you know once yeah exactly right they were sort of dating for not date you know, whatever I don't know if dating is the right term but had feelings for years and she's like no we can't do it and then right well socially they weren't allowed to right so right. Yeah. yeah so so you know it's kind of against social norms and uh, customs uh, but she has sex with Alpha uh, but it was kind of known that. Mademba was like crushing on her as well, and uh, that it, you know, he, he knew he didn't have a chance, and the inevitable happens, and Alpha, the fucking <laughs> hot, you know, supermodel one, gets to go. The lacrosse have, player. Have sex. The the Chad. Captain of the lacrosse team. But then, because they're these like bounded souls, and Alpha feels responsible for the death of Mademba, because like, uh, for, for a bunch of reasons we can talk about further, you know, uh, I think the ending is is in parts like a possession uh, where Alpha lends his body to Mademba in order to allow him to achieve this final thing that he believes is like important to complete his like progression as like a full human being, an adult, uh, by being like... I know that this nurse wants me, but this nurse, the reason it's a rape, I think, is because this nurse registers that uh, it's not Alpha anymore. Uh, and uh, that, um, you know, she's, she's, be- she's having sex with someone else, uh, basically. And it's scary and weird and supernatural. And like, but this is Alpha's gift to Mademba. Right. And, and, and Alpha earlier in the book. Um talks about that specifically about how it's fucked up and bad that Mademba died without ever having sex. Yeah. And that, and that's like a huge issue. And that's something that alpha like thinks about like a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you could say that it it's possibly like a, a juvenile type viewpoint, but we're also talking about people that are like 20 years old. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, which made me almost, think of this book as kind of like a coming of it fits into like the coming of age type stories I would say I, I was actually thinking a bit of a separate piece sure. <laughs> when, when reading this sure yeah this like kind of guilt stricken friend it's kind of the roles are kind of reversed in that book um, but still I was I, I was thinking a bit about that but uh, I kind of feel that um 
maybe like the whatever happened can be kind of explained by some sort of weird traumatic psychosis but there's enough of this like weird folklore in there that almost makes it like believably supernatural yeah i don't i don't know if um like most things supernatural there's no way to avoid the possibility that it was by the end right you can't just be like no no ghosts are stupid i don't believe it (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) but that that is what the whole like last half is is in service of i mean because like i don't know it's strange it's like and 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 probably if we knew more about like senegalese culture and its colonial past and its folklore maybe but you know just within the text what we're working with is like we get the recounting of an old folktale right about the lion sorcerer and the fickle princess yeah you know and um i don't know I, yeah I, I don't know what to make of it i well i mean i'm i'm glad you brought that up though cuz before you got on Gabe and i were just kind of talking briefly about it and i i was like this book got so weird towards the end. I had to read the second half based like the folklore part in particular. I had to read it twice and I still was just like, what the hell is that? So I'm glad that you brought up the point that like the whole story as a whole, it fits into the, into the folklore story. And that like kind of blew my mind, like a Tim and Eric type. (laughs) 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 Uh, Well, because for me, you know, like it's like some, like, Alpha is so physical, and like you said, I think Alpha is is a very intentional first name. Like, yes. I, I think it's meant to be that. And like, I think Mademba is 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 because he's so like sh- you know thin and and scrawny and whatever. Like, I think he's you're like Steve you, Rogers before he's Captain America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's literally supposed to kind of be like you've got mind and matter kind of meeting you've got these two people you've got the person who is like capable of uh memorizing the quran and memorizing these uh oral traditions and like seeking further education you know he wants to learn uh fluent french and go to like an école de whatever fucking in in mainland france uh école de baguette yeah or fucking you know uh you know uh chocolat uh show that doesn't work with what we're talking about. <laughs> They're literally called chocolate. The chocolate the, soldiers. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Nutella. <laughs> Was that on? The, did we talk? Did we talk about that before? Or after we started recording. After. I hope after. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. we got his. Uh, we got his idiocy on <laughs> audio. You got yours. But mine. it's, it's. Uh, <laughs> I just think you know, crudely put, like. They are more than brother, but they they complete each other in the sense of I think mind and body. Well, they also talk about like pretty clear, like blatantly that they love each other, almost like in a way like they're in love. I don't know how, what you guys felt about that, but like it I didn't get any like, like well, what I didn't get homoerotic undertones at all. I got a little bit of that. I was thinking about this a lot as I was reading because it it obviously occurs to you, right? When like two male childhood friends who are like specifically in the context of war together, 
referring to themselves as more than brothers and, yeah. and, and all sure. of that. Like it, it, your mind does go there, but I, I don't know. I tend to, I kind of fall a little more with Matt here is like, I didn't, I don't think that that's necessarily what Diop was trying to do per se. I didn't really, I didn't really get it that much, but, but I think it's natural for your mind to go there. I think that he was clever in making your mind go to there, go to that point because he, he brings it up before it's, it's shown uh, like the sexual encounter scenes are, are shown. So once uh, alpha talks about like having sex, it, that thought kind of leaves your brain, I, I would say. But I, I, I like the way he toes the line of just like, you, you never totally, you, you can't totally clearly know. I don't think. And it, uh, he, because that, that phrase, like, I you're more than my brother. What is the phrase again? Yeah, more than brother. brother. Yeah, my more than brother, brother from another mother. But <laughs> yeah, <brother>. yeah. <laughs> more than brother. Uh, more than brother. Uh, uh, it's like a, an ambiguity there. It's like a weird gray zone that adds to the overall interestingness of the relationship. And, and there are a couple other little subtle moments where, in Alpha's sort of like crazed rantings about how hot he is. He, he, he does mention multiple times how even even men stare at the middle of my body and men yeah. men love my smile and I can charm That's true. I can charm men with my smile and da 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 da. Yeah. He's that just is raw true. sexual energy. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of him kind of as like uh like the id. Like he kind of divulges into id. Mm. He's just like pure masculine id sexual energy murder. But he's not really like after that in a way that would make me so much be like, this is what this guy is fully. You know what I mean? I think that's why for me, like that's part of why the rape scene is so shocking. And and it's I think brutal. For a, it's horrible. I, it's really bad. Uh, and we should read it. Let's, we probably shouldn't. But I mean, whatever. But um, I think that, it, you know, Diop does a really subtle job of setting up. Uh, Alpha, even in his most brute, like physically brutal to the other soldiers and, and all of his sort of internal thinking as, I, I don't know, I would argue kind of like broadly sympathetic, like you kind of get, it's understandable, right? That he's had all this crazy trauma. He's like a colonial figure. He's, he's being, you know, deployed for this purpose. And you kind of whether or not you morally excuse it or whatever, you can kind of get it. But then I think part of Diop's point is that like the, the madness of war and trauma and all that, it doesn't just stop at the sympathetic stuff. You know what I mean? It goes further. It goes into the truly deplorable and, and awful and hideous. You know what I mean? And I think it's sort of just taking that to its logical conclusion and, and, you know, it, it would have been easy to end this book in a way where Alpha is still, I think, someone that people can identify with and be like, I get, if not identify with, at least sort of his behavior is intelligible, right? Um, but it doesn't end that way. And I think that's, that was intentional and, and, saw, and like well done. Were you guys, I was thinking a little bit of uh, Simonon. Uh, and Dirty Snow in particular, reading this book, I was thinking of like the adolescent mind twisted by trauma or war in this case, 
Um, but in Dirty Snow, you could kind of argue that's the same. The sort the same ripples of war affected. I forget the main character in Dirty Snow, but that the main character's um, potential word worldview. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right, Gabe. I think that like it becomes something more. Let's well, lead up to World War Two, right? I mean, I, yeah, that's I think World it's War Two. During World War Two, or at the beginning, it's during. Yeah. It's you know it's 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 of a piece and it's still like wartime morality which we were discussing earlier where it's the sequel so it's pretty yeah <laughs> it is the sequel everything's the sequel <laughs> it's the same but more uh, yeah exactly right right there's a disruption um, there's a reassessment of what it means to be human and uh, the context is not something that it has you know exists normally yep. Uh, in yeah. particular, to be human, but also to be like an uh, a young adolescent uh, alpha type person, <laughs> and how how that can potentially affect your psyche, which I I, I just find like fascinating. I don't know. I like it's it, it, the it comes up it brings up the question of like you know what would he have been like? What would alpha have been like? without these experiences. I mean, it does, and maybe this is going in a totally weird direction with it, but, like, it does read, again, like, specifically sort of the rape scene and Alpha kind of talking about himself a little bit. And again, I can't, I cannot ignore that his name is just Alpha and <laughs> the, the, what that means in, in America at this moment, in, in this context. But it does sort of read as this, like, inner monologue of... Obviously, it works as the inner monologue of this character, but also of, like, your average, like, lacrosse frat boy rapist. Yeah. Where they're like, I'm fucking hot. She looked at my dick earlier. Like, this, she just loves it. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's, like, too too out there, but I I do think there's some connection, like, some resonances. That's why I think, like, I, I really think that every 16-year-old in high school, particularly a boy that wants to join the army maybe, but maybe <laughs> just a boy, should read this book. I think there's a lot of just weird sexually Freudian moments that reading this at a young age might be a little bit eye-opening for, for a lot of younger people. I don't We're know, just I do eye opening, know if I like would advise young people to read this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I get what you're saying. Read it to your six-year-old tonight, <laughs> audience. <laughs> they will learen a lot about the human condition. The best Try and an, story. <laughs> yeah, reenact some of the scenes in the best ways you can to make it vivid. And have Schindler's List on in the background. Just get their teddy right. bear, and when he disembowels people, just rip the foam out from inside <laughs> the teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> Lay next to it. And just be like, it's like, like this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You love this bear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Reenact this whole book to your six year old daughter. Yeah. Well, it's it's like um you like uh uh I think the the one of the key differences though is I think you're right. Like I think Alpha in some ways was by his own description, kind of a hot guy came easy to him you know appealing to people empty-headed physically capable and that was about it and he was like this the war is what got me to think uh beyond that 
where and and then you know as we were mentioning specifically not mercy killing his friend where he goes okay why did i not kill my friend i didn't kill my friend because and this is where i think it gets interesting internally for alpha is like he's like me and my friend were in a kind of uh insult oriented relationship with each other yes. where we would we would egg each other on and make fun of each other's weaknesses uh and, and dude kind of you know rock. just just dudes rock you're a fucking pussy dude i you know you're you're a sigil animal or your your totem animal is a uh, fucking lame and, crane. Uh, it's like a, what is it some kind of crane or the crowned or? the crowned crane for yeah, madembe yeah. he's like yeah you're scrawny you're a stupid scrawny bird that eats fish and i'm a lion <laughs> You're ugly uh, and handsome. I got big pectoral muscles and yeah, and you got nothing. Yeah, and he's like, you're a coward. And that's what he thinks he's basically like. So then uh, on one of the whistle blows, Mademba goes out first, kind of playing up the this token savage role and, you know, uh, also pr- trying to prove himself. And that's why he gets killed. Or at least that's what Alpha thinks. So, like, right. Alpha's like, yo, I, I, I actually precipitated this. I'm, I'm to blame. Um and uh, therefore, I'm the killer of this person. And uh, I didn't kill Mercy kill him because I thought I could technically get away with what I genuinely did. It's my fault. Like, I did this. Uh, and, and I don't know. That, that's just that, like, I think that is an interesting rationale. Like, you could say, you, you, like, you know, you, you didn't pull the trigger. You didn't do this. You didn't cause this entire situation. Like, this is a false line of thinking. But at the same time, I think uh, in some ways, Alpha is kind of taking a genuine responsibility and being like, yeah, I got wheels in my head. I got false gods that I'm worshiping. Like, I, I need to uh, take account for, to the fact, he, he describes his, the, the, his rationales for not killing Mademba as too well-dressed to be trustworthy or something so like that. So good. Such a good line. Yeah, just some. Yeah, I, I I highlighted it. I'm not trying to. Kindle is a bitch to find the lines you highlighted. Um, you gotta take screenshots, yeah. dude. I take uh, screenshots. Maybe. Oh, um, move. That's what I do, and I circle I, them with my highlighter. Or I have a I have a nook. I have a nook. I don't have a Kindle. A nook. Yeah. You do it all for the nookie. Uh, that's right. Um. <laughs> that that two second clip clip that, that clip that <laughs> that two second clip has to be the like on our front page of our YouTube channel. Hey, yeah, no one's here to be with me, but I ate Indian food, so it smelled too. <laughs> oh God! No one's here to be with me. No one's here to be with me. Yeah, but I'm trying to make a serious point. So sorry. stop joking oh, around. Sorry. Why don't you quit it? All right. Joking like Mademba and, and Alpha. No, you guys are joking like uh, John Baptiste. It's nihilistic. <laughs> it's nihilistic and it's bad. And I want you to stop. Sorry, sorry. But my my point being, just like even in his faulty thinking, Alpha identifies something that I think is correct profoundly, right? Which is like my preconceptions are are so well formed prior to me even having like questioned them that uh they're weird it's weird to me that they're like this and I, i've only seen that they're weird now what do you mean by horrific preconceptions thing. because of the, fo- the folklore tale 
Is that no, his or? his um no his like uh, the moral presuppositions that inform his decision not to kill, mercy kill Mademba. Like traditional morality, right? Where, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, you know, and it's like, even if he blames himself, which everyone would be like, no, it's not you, whatever. In a in a normal scenario, like his his insight about that still kind of I think is correct, right? And that's that's what's tricky about the whole situation. Totally. I, I think that's a really important point, Matt. Like, you know, he is, he, he, and this is where all the imagery about the trenches being wombs and stuff and like giving birth and blah, blah, blah. Right. Come into play in the sense that like Alpha in a real way sort of has these kind of revelatory moments because of war. And up to a point, they are true and admirable, right? Like war kind of recontextualizes and re, um, kind of just like rejiggers like one's sense of morality. And he goes through that in a very like real and believable way, right? Like, oh, everything that I was taught, tr you know, traditionally growing up, like out of books or whatever, or by my parents or, you know, religion or whatever, all of that shit kind of needs to go out of the window in this context. And he has to go through this horrible experience to realize that, but he does. And it's, and it's the right conclusion. But then, like we've been talking about, it gets twisted and spun in all of these awful directions. And that, to me, feels very believable. Like, that, to yeah. me, feels very real. Again, not having any experience with war or, you know, anything even remotely comparable, it, it, it felt like... A, a very careful and real sort of description of the way that that sort of logic and that sort of experience can spiral out of control. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatic. I mean, I kind of want to bring this up even though it's like personal and weird, but remember I, I told you guys like a year and a half ago when I was going through shit, I like saw basic, I like, ha I like had a, crazy psychotic experience and i saw a version of myself while i was driving late at night like 3 a.m yeah that's a crazy yeah yeah i was actually thinking about that uh a lot because i was like traumatic experiences can incite uh very very strange moments for you in your life because i've i've experienced that firsthand um and i i like the way that he kind of rides the line between believability and unbelievability um but I, I sided more with a with believability honestly because of maybe my own personal experiences but um as apocalypse now maddening that it gets it never like shot or it never jumped the shark for me it was always very grounded and i was with it even even though it got like more and more absurd and insane you, you just believe the trauma especially because in the beginning he, he expresses so clearly his psychotic murdering you know and i i just kept thinking like how do you not eventually how does that not eventually catch up with you internally and i think that that's that like that's what exactly right and that's kind of what i was trying to get at earlier with like i think that's what the best war media does 
is like ride that fucking lightning and 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 never and get right to the edge of unbelievability and never go over. And I feel like this book did that. Definitely. Yeah. And uh I, I have a little like a uh, chunk that I highlighted. Um go off, King. It's uh what the fuck chunk is? it up. I don't know what chapter this is or whatever. Um, it's, it's all a, Roman numerals, dude. We can't read them anyway. <laughs> yeah, whatever the <laughs> whatever the fuck this is, chapter twenty four, I think. Roman uh, numerals. What what even is that? Is that Greek? <laughs> <laughs> it's all Greek to me, baby. Oh shit! You said twenty four. I think. Okay, so towards the end. Yes. Um. This is kind of where. Uh, That's alpha. a really short one, right? It's only like two pages. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. It's it's I kind of I, only one. Yeah, I think I found it. Uh, alpha is full on Septimus. You know, I am both. I am life and death. I am mother and daughter. You know, I am. I am. Septimus you know, Prime. He says, "Yeah." He says, "I am double." You know, he he. I am yeah, yeah. All, all binaries are within me, etc. You know, yeah. he's he's fully gone. Uh but the middle paragraph of that goes, uh, to translate is never simple. All right, good. Gabe also highlighted this. I actually did too. Nice. I you know, it's a short book and these things are important to stand out. Uh so yeah, uh, uh to translate is never simple. To translate is to betray at the borders, it's to cheat. It's to trade one sentence for another. To translate is one of the only human activities in which one is required to lie about the details to convey the truth at large. To translate is to risk understanding better than others that the truth about a word is not single, but double, even triple, quadruple, or quintuple. To translate is to distance oneself from God's truth, which, as everyone knows or believes, is single. God is a Volsal. He's That's single. Just, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I love that passage. And I think, so in, the context of that chapter is he's in the hospital and they're basically asking him, they ask him what his name is. And he goes <laughs> on this crazy rant about how he's yeah. life and death and he eats boulders and like, this <laughs> and like all this stuff. Um, and because he doesn't speak French, they have to translate what he just said into mm-hmm. French. And then that paragraph happens. And I, I, I thought it was so well-placed and, like, well, you know, it's just, it's it's both so good for the story and also just so meta as, you know, Diop obviously knew this book was going to be translated when he wrote it, I'm yeah. assuming, you know? And so it's such a meta commentary on, you know, translation as a project in general. Um, and I think that it, it, it was just so so well placed and it's undercut by humor like yes the 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 translator within the novel who's there to <laughs> convey uh you know Ndaye's words is like ah uh, <laughs> you know like, well, they're like we asked his name we definitely heard more words than his first and last yeah <laughs> we heard well, like yeah. a paragraph so like what the <laughs> fuck did he say it's, it's like, worth reading the rest of that underneath it. Do it. Yeah, do it, Paul. Uh, 
They say, what, what did he say? Everyone asked. This is not the response we expected. The response we expected wouldn't be more than two words, possibly three. Everyone <laughs> has a last name and a first name, two first names at most. The translator hesitated, intimidated by the angry, worried looks being shot his way. He cleared his throat, throat and answered the uniforms in a, in a small, nearly inaudible voice. He said that he is both life and death. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. It's you can just picture it's, the it scene. It is funny, and, and, you know. But again, that that theme of of duality is like so. That's another one that runs through the book, right? This like, or or this idea of being double, right? Like him and Mademba, and then you know, this this sort of life and death, and I don't know. It, it, it I think that it's kind of comes to fruition there. Another another weird double thing that I noticed. Did you notice that he kills seven Germans? And the and the soldiers that have uh, are like basically traitors. There's seven of them, and I was trying to find a correlation between. I did not actually pick up on that. That's a good. That's a good catch. I just didn't really. I I I noticed it, but I was like, "What the hell are? What's the correlation between those two groups of people? Like the the soldiers he murders and the traitors, which I don't think is very clear. I don't know, but I definitely think it's significant that there's seven of both. Yeah. Which I had, which I missed. I don't know if you caught that, Matt. Does that have anything to do with creation, like the seven days? It well, I was. Probably does. M- maybe that or the seven deadly sins, which I was hoping it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, it could be all. I mean, seven again. Well, seven, seven is one is of these a significant number. In the, yeah. yeah, which again, yeah, yeah I'm not going to be able to uh, to plumb in depth. Um, but I know, like in terms of numerology, which plays a large role in. You know the Old Testament, and uh, you know in the Talmud and stuff. It's uh, <laughs> yes. there's a lot to dive in there too. If if that's if, indeed something he like was exploring. If there's any uh, Talmudic numerology podcasts out there, yeah, we got Kabbalah people <laughs> out there and shit. That would be cool. We would love to know. Yeah. Madonna, come on the show. <laughs> yeah. Madonna, the premier source of information. That's right. That's right. On the Kabbalah, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah, no, okay. I, I, I did not pick up on that, Paul, but I think that is actually really interesting. It's sort of like a, a maybe like a balanced thing almost, you know. Yeah, I saw. I think I think of it as a balanced thing, like uh, maybe maybe a take on the weird equality that up to a certain point in the war, both sides face. It was just like mass. It was just like an equal number of soldiers, I think, dying for a, a number of years because it was just like the 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 playing field was just so equal. Like, right. what, what else can you do? So no matter yeah, what war- hell is going on... Well, and that's and, another duality, right? Just the two trenches, like, opposite each other, facing each other. Yeah. Well, and, like, a big thing about World War One too was just, like, it, it was called, like, the stalemate war, I think, for... A long, it was just a stalemate for years, I think, until the Americans came in, World which War-1, is us. Yeah. We, we rule. We won. America forever. Yeah. <laughs> Here maybe the it's world. like a a pessimistic view on like yeah there's minus 7 for both sides in equally or maybe not equally but like both very very horrible ways these 14 soldiers died on each side but in at the end of it is just a number <laughs> which is disturbing and sad I think that's I think that's actually like I didn't pick up on that either I think that's probably true like 
I think you just get a nullity. You get a zero by the end of it yeah. in terms yes. of numer- numerologically. Yeah, I think that that has to be. Yeah, for something this short, like especially like everything needs to be like I feel if it's worth its salt, at least story wise, then then everything should be weighed heavier. Have a purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think also like morally, right? You wind up with this fucking null. Yeah. Which is war, right? Like there's no yeah. <laughs> there's no like moral winner. You know what I mean? It's just over and then we're all left asking. I think Shout that's out right. to Afghanistan and then we're all just left asking like what the fuck was the point of any of this? Right. Yeah. Shout outs to Afghanistan. <laughs> that, was probably, that was probably bad. What up, Kabul? What dude? up? Yeah, yeah, it's sick. It's bad. Well, I, I think I think we should at some point uh, maybe we can talk now about a little bit about the um, folk tale. Yeah, yeah, I want to talk. I, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the chapter about uh, Alpha's mother. Oh my I god, that was like. Because that was almost like a folk tale in itself, too. That's like yeah. the interim kind of third piece that we yes. talked about that links the two halves, yeah. quote right, unquote. So, so go off on the folk tale. Well, let's do no. Let's do the mom because that that that's uh. Yeah, let's do the mom. All right, all right, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I mean, the reason that Sorry. I wanted to talk about it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Paul brought up. You know, Paul used the word Freudian earlier, and I, I think it's interesting to think about, like, there's a, ch- there's a long chapter. Most of the chapters of this book are very short, and there's a couple long ones. Um, and one of the long ones is about Alpha. He's, he's already on, uh, at the back in the hospital recounting the story of his childhood, not with Mademba, but with his father and mother, who, you know, his father was a, you know noble like a nobleman in their village basically sort of one of the like high families not like founding he, father yeah basically. exactly um and he there was like a tribe of kind of like uh roaming you know um you know i wish you could find the, the, the name of their um the name of what it's something i i forget it's like it starts with an f it's like their uh the tribe, yeah. The Fula, yes, yeah. 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 Um, and so they they come through every year at a specific time of year, and uh, Alpha's father, um, whose name I can't remember, is he named? His mother is. I think he was named. I forget if his father is named. He refers to him just as the old man at the beginning. Yeah, um, that's what I remember. That's it. I don't know if his father is ever named. Anyway. Um, but his father always offers his, who owns a farm, like a sort of like a ranch almost. Um, and he offers his well and some of his food stores to this traveling tribe that comes through. And after a few years, the leader of this tribe, um, Yoruba, uh, essentially, you know, says in, in order to sort of thank you or pay you or whatever, I want you to marry my uh, you know, my, my daughter, one of my daughters. Um, and this is his, this is, uh, uh, Alpha's father's, I forget, fifth, fourth wife, fifth wife, fourth, fourth. Um, uh, and he's already old at this point and he kind of begrudgingly accepts and, and marries this, uh, this daughter of this tribe. 
Just to speak of numerology, by the way, I just now thought about it. Yeah. Four, four is the that's the hand that stops people from uh, trusting. Alpha. Oh fuck! Yeah, you're right. So I don't know. That's also just a cursed number four. I don't well, know. And and the passage we read earlier of the 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 young guy who Alpha feels bad about killing. That was his fourth kill. Yes, which is why the vibes are bad when he gets back with the hand. Also, the war lasted four years. Fuck. Hmm. So I don't know. So. I like that. Damn. Yeah. Okay. So that's probably a thing. Um, <laughs> and Alpha probably had four dicks. <laughs> if I had to guess. <laughs> oh, there's that passage about Madema's dick being four inches long. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, no. Which is why we could never fuck anybody. You're right. Uh, in some. In some uh, orange. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but it, so anyway, like long story short, I mean, it's very long. It's like it, it's almost like a short story in and of itself. This chapter. Um, but long story short, uh, Alpha's mother, whose name is Pendo. Long story short story. <laughs> long story short story in a story story. Um, anyway, her, his mother, whose name is Pendo Ba. Uh, uh, marries his father, and then her family stops coming back, right? They stop coming through the village. And she starts getting depressed and increasingly sort of, you know, unhappy because, you know, she's lived her whole life as this kind of roaming, you know, whatever. And being in one place is not working for her. And uh, ultimately, she tries to go off and, and find her family again. And he wants to go with her, but his father and, and, and she won't let him do that. And she never comes back and she's lost forever. Uh, and one of the things that he talks about is dreaming about finishing the war with Mademba, getting their pensions and then using the money to find his mother. Yeah. Who he ha- is convinced was kidnapped by uh, like uh, Moorish, Moorish Bedouin you know, something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, I just thought that chapter was so, like, interesting and beautiful. And, like, like again, like you said, Matt, like, it, it's this folklore tale within a, a larger narrative alongside other folklore tales. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what y'all made of that chapter. Well, what I was thinking was um, that chunk about translation that I read... Um, is I think with with the three phases you get three further you you get further away in immediate memory right you get you just get translations like it's Alpha's literal experience firsthand in war then you get his memories of uh, his parents which is you know remembering things is already a sort of translation and then you get a literal folk tale ancient prior to his birth by many 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 years uh having been passed down by many people so therefore translated and so you just get um but you know but what's funny is it kind of undercuts it by like being like you know the farther you get from god's truth these translations are just layers of untruth piled over immediate experience which should be the most truthful um, but at the same time, like this book seems to indicate that like uh, there is still a just direct line, right? Like everyone has their role that they play within this ancient folk tale 
in a contemporary setting. Uh, so it, it kind of undercuts the whole notion of translation as a problem to, to access God's truth. Which I, which I think is, you know, like a big Blair. part of why it's just that, that refrain, God's truth, God's truth, God's truth. It's almost performative. Like he's repeating it in order to try to, to try to, to, to tell even himself that nothing is being lost, right? Like that this mm-hmm. is the truth even though he at some level knows that it isn't and can't be. Right. I think that <clears throat> narratively, I really like the structure. I like, like, uh, it, it's not something that I would maybe consider doing if I were like setting out to write a book to like put the most blatant, um, gory, shocking moments in the beginning and then kind of like not subdue you, but like it, it, it seems to fade away. Like you fade from direct truth, direct action, direct experiences to past experiences to the folklore tale, which is like not even his experiences. It's like an old folklore tale. And uh, I just thought that was very genius almost and impactful to like it it was it kind of like I don't know. It it was just brilliant, I thought. And it, it was shocking that I was hooked the whole time. Um, when the most shocking moments, like physically and uh, bloodily, happened in the beginning. Yeah, but I mean, it, it almost became more shocking though towards the end too, though, because yes. you because of the structure. I don't know. I mean, I'll say no, this is not a call out, but one of the other things that KD Books talks about in his review on YouTube is that he felt like the book kind of plateaus halfway through and doesn't go anywhere, and I just could not disagree with that more. Like the back yeah. half of this book is so important, juicy and important <laughs> yeah. and beautiful uh, and interesting. Like I, I, I just, uh, that was not my experience of reading the book at all. I had a similar, no, it like book. amplified. It kept going up yeah. exponentially like a population. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a weird, <laughs> weird transition, but uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> this is now a Malthusian podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, again, I think, uh, you know, the mom is significant. She's literally the life source of uh, Alpha's dad towards the end of his life. I, you know, he's, he's, he's said to have physically drained and become gray and... I have that passage, which is... Oh, can I read read something real quick, actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, It just relates to the... It's after the mom is presumed dead or missing. I think it's the final uh, passage of one chapter I didn't actually mark, but... um, As soon as he learned the news of Pinoba's capture by the Moors, my father passed definitively, definitively into old age. God's truth, he continued to laugh, to smile at us, to joke about the world and about himself. But he was never the same again. In one instant, he lost half of his youth. He had lost half of his joy in existing. Yeah. Uh, That's that's exactly the page I was going to read. I mean, again, it's like, you know, women, uh, they're, I think, pretty overtly and almost heavy-handedly are just like the source of life and and also kind of the source of uh, memory. Mm -hmm. Um because I have a, I have a passage to pair with that towards the almost very end, um, which is in in the folk tale phase of like the lion sorcerer or whatever. 
so it goes, So, as soon as she could, the fickle princess fled, but the lion sorcerer took off after her in hot pursuit. The lion sorcerer knew that if he lost the princess, he would lose his only story. He would lose his meaning. He would lose even his name, that of lion sorcerer. With the princess gone, his land became no man's land again, for it was the princess who had enlivened it with her fancies. Uh, his land would never resuscitate itself unless the fickle princess returned to his cave kingdom. Even the life of the lion sorcerer himself depended on the fickle princess's eyes, thank you, uh, ears, and mouth. You're undercutting me. Do Without I, her, I, I moved my bike away. I, th- I thought I couldn't. You couldn't hear me. Shit. Sorry. <laughs> I really With, moved it. Without her, his scarless beauty would remain invisible. Without her presence, his roars would be inaudible. Without her voice, his cave kingdom would be erased from the world. Mm. So, you know, in in a final kind of uh, ancient oral tradition, folktale kind of way, y- you get it laid bare i think so uh, is the in your so is the so so basically the, this story it's about a, a the fickle princess and a va- and her vain father the king and this scarless prince comes but it turns out he's a fake prince and he's a sorcerer a lion sorcerer right and he basically captures her and takes her back to his cave and then she escapes with the help of a, a handmaiden to the king's like enchanted objects that she, right? But I don't even know if it's that simple. Like it's I think n- it's st- not. I'm trying to. Yeah, I was trying. But to. you're right. Yeah, you're right. Like I think the, but it's weird because you know, like the um, the ugly <laughs> archer who ends up shooting arrow an arrow into the lion. Right. You know the lion sorcerer is. In my in my guess, effectively, Mademba, who is actually the one who died in reality, which makes it completely different. Yes. Um, yeah. But he's not the one who 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 died a real death. You know that that's well, uh, that's where I start to lose the thread myself, and and I, I haven't really fully formulated like a uh, idea. Yeah, so my, my it's not one to one. No, it's no, not one to one for sure. I mean, my thinking was that like if we're mapping characters onto this story which i think like paul said correctly it's it's not like a one-to-one thing but i think that you know i think the the lion sorcerer being a lion and alpha's you know house totem being a lion is obviously relevant and you know him being this and he's called a, a warrior sorcerer right or, or a, a, i forget the exact term that they soldier use. sorcerer soldier sorcerer um and so I think that he's sort of, you know, in uh, kind of uh, disguise the whole time, right? And then, you know, again, his, whether it's his mother who, you know, he needs to maintain his identity, his... I mean, I love the phrase cave kingdom because yeah. that's sort of what Alpha is creating for himself in his own mind is this space <laughs> this yeah. cave where he's the, the the king he can think whatever he wants he only does it for himself um but he needs that other node that other connection whether it's Mademba or maybe his mother and then ultimately it's taken out violently and terribly on the on the doctor's daughter uh, but he needs that in order to maintain this world that he's crafted for himself 
Yes. Again, that's, that's probably a little simplistic, but something in that direction I, I, is kind of how I felt about it. It makes him a modern subject. Like, he needs uh, a bit. He needs a... Uh, he needs eyes to make himself real to himself, I guess, or you know, something like that. Right. There's no, there's no Cartesian cogito, right? As much as he wants to be that, it's always in, has to be in communication with others or in interaction, at least. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's weird because you know he he seemed to be a creature of pure instinct earlier. Uh, but like, then there's all this stuff about, uh, what, what's, what am I trying to say here? Like, know. like he was, he was happy in the village. Uh, he got the girl. He was fulfilling his, his predestined, you know, sort of role by being the just beautiful you know person hot boy summer person yes easy just easily getting the hottest girl in the village yeah <laughs> so easily that she like com- like she comes up to him basically in a school dance and like touches her thigh to his thigh yeah right yeah and you know but even, fuck, dude, I, I like this, because even then, there's, like, uh, but, like, you know, um, tribal politics get in the way. Like, his, like, uh, uh, Alpha's dad was uh, a dick to some plan that uh, Fairy's dad was trying to implement as the actual, right? Like, he's the um, actual tribal chief, correct? I don't remember if he yeah, is or not. It's, is. Uh, well, who, who? not... Uh... Fairy's dad. Fairy's dad. Fairy's dad, yeah, yeah. Not not um, Alpha's dad. Right. So the, the thing that, you know, some of the inputs that I'm trying to, like, mix into everything are, like, Alpha's dad and his implications, and then uh, Pendo Ba, right, the mom? Yeah, Alpha's mother. Which, which I, I believe are there to complicate what could just be a very like clean pairing of the first and second half. I think the middle mm-hmm. is there to create the tension that makes the first and second half not uh, not flow easily into each other and be the important element of like translation being a messy and you know, if you don't want to say this but whatever like God's God's truth being uh, stepped away from. Right. And I, I don't know what to make of it, really. Yeah, yeah. I don't know either. I mean, I don't, I don't know how I, how I piece together, like, the psychological aspects and the war aspects with the translation um, topics and themes brought up in the book. I don't really know how they... They don't really meld together that well for me, I think, when I'm actually thinking about it. Like, what exactly is he... Is he trying to say something like two separate separate things in the same story, or do they meld somehow that I'm not seeing? I, I, I don't think they're separate. I think it's 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 almost like a you know, it, it the narrative is inverted in the sense that like the alpha that we see at the beginning of the story is 
you know, the one, the version of himself that has been um, twisted by war, but not fully twisted, right? That doesn't happen until the end. And then we sort of see some of the preconditions, like Matt said, some of the inputs that kind of make this outcome possible, right? His trauma of his losing his mother, all of this childhood stuff with Mademba, and all of that is, I think, you know, feeds into what Alpha becomes after being kind of cleaved and traumatized by the war. Um, so it's, 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 it's a way of explaining or sort of, you know, detailing how... I mean, I think part of it is that Alpha's, Alpha could have gone a lot of different ways in his life, but these specific things that happened when he's young and the specific things that happened to him in the war make this sort of outcome that we ultimately see almost logical or at least possible. I mean, I, I definitely see it that way. I, I never, like, I think I, I've already said this, but I'll, re, I'll reiterate that I, I never thought it was unbelievable. It almost felt like a, like a, like a, a ripple effect when you throw like a stone in a, a lake or something like every, everything just seemed like a step that would happen, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I still, I, I'm still not totally grasping how the translation theme fits in with it. Maybe I just missed it. I'm sorry, but you don't have to explain it again. I just, Nice. I don't think I, I explained know. it either. I don't have an explanation. Like I, I, I think when the when the folktale kicks in, I think we're fully in Mademba's mind instead because Mademba's already been characterized as somebody who actually is capable of doing things like fully oh, memorizing a story. I, I had not thought of that. That's a really interesting interpretation. That I have that, a, one more little please, chunk. Please, <laughs> uh, which again, it, it, I I think starts like to try and be like. Listen, we're at the end of the book. Like, get it. <laughs> you know, kind of get kind it, of deal. Idiot. Yeah, you fucking idiot. You fucking uh, idiot. So this chapter starts with or a little break starts with I swear to you that I heard the story of the lion sorcerer just before leaving for the war. And I think this is Mademba. Uh, this story, like all interesting stories, is full of clever innuendo. Whoever tells a well-known story like the one about the line sorcerer and the fickle princess might always be hiding another story be beneath it. Uh, to be seen, the story hidden beneath the well-known story has to peek out a little bit. If the hidden story... So th this would be the similarities between characters and that and, you know, the them. Uh, uh, if the hidden story hides too well beneath the well-known story... It stays invisible. The hidden story has to be there without being there. It has to let itself be guessed at. The way a tight saffron yellow dress lets the beautiful figure of a young girl be guessed at. <laughs> it has to be transparent. When it's understood by those uh, for whom it is, one second, uh, intended. The story hidden beneath the well-known story can change the course of their lives. Can push them to transform a diffuse desire into a concrete act. It can heal them from the sickness of hesitation, no matter the expectations of an ill-intentioned storyteller. That's good. Actually, that made me think of a thing I was thinking of earlier um, about the story element being in place within this story. <laughs> um, yeah. I was thinking, 
Alpha was like, like this story was resonating in his psyche. And even though the stories don't match up one for one, he's trying to place his own story within this story. Mm-hmm. It's basically mm-hmm. like, like a spook. Like it's it's his it's his spook of his. So you think story. so? In a way, he actually did not escape everything that he thought he escaped mentally and morally. I don't know about that. I just but the think question was, is if the story is actually being recalled by by my reckoning, not by Alpha, but my Bandemba. Which I think is that's it, that's really interesting. Uh. It was Alpha even aware of this versus Mademba, who who was the one who was conceiving everybody as within a pre-existing story? Right, dude. What? That was Tim and Eric. Another moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's. I think that's. But really... when Alpha and Mademba fuse bodies, does it matter? Also, you know, like, are you still correct? Like, it, uh, what is the difference at some point? Because they possess one. Uh, you know, they possess one another. They're more than brothers. Yeah, they are. They're gay. Together. They're more than. They're more than brothers. <laughs> they're ghost gay. Yeah, ghost gay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna fill. You, I'm gonna fill you up. That's the remake of Ghost. Alpha. Is, <laughs> it's gonna be called Ghost it's, Gay. It's a bummer because I'm gonna have to use the Anna Nicole Smith meme again when we talk about the book. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! Uh, I wish it wasn't so relevant always. I know. I know. But I, I mean, I also think that um, you know. That whole passage that you read, Matt, when I first read it, I was a little bit like, like you said, like, all right, dude, I get it. You don't have to, you don't have to be telling me exactly what's happening. But I also think, I also think that part of what Diop is doing in that passage is referring to the larger, not just the narrative, but the larger context of the book where he's, we also, we have this well-known story about World War One and the way it went. And what he's doing is is talking about another story that's hidden within that larger story, namely the story of True the colonial that. soldiers that have been kind of ignored and not really talked about a lot. And so I think that it's 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 both works within the narrative, but also as like a meta commentary on what the book is designed to do in terms of bringing out this kind of hidden history yeah. Uh, that a lot of people don't know about, and and hearing you read it back again, it, it, I, that just sort of struck me. Yeah, you you can't forget that like this is a 2020 publication, and the implications exactly. of that need to be also like taken into consideration. Yeah, I also think that that points to the uh, the racial elements at play, and how just insightful that is overall. Is it like? These these idea this story is being brought up to us three white guys, and it's fresh, and it's fresh to like the rest of everyone else because it's twenty twenty, and it, I just feel like it's an untold story and it's good. Yeah. Sorry, I I, start, I started talking and I forgot exactly what I was going to say, but I kept talking anyway. No, but that but but that's what it is, right? It's about <laughs> it's about like you know for whom who are these stories hidden from, right? Because people live this. Right, like, That's did, what there were these soldiers who were in the war, and they didn't <laughs> fucking forget it, and their families didn't fucking forget it. It's old. Yeah. It's old. It's but, old uh, news, but it's new to us. It's right? new to us, it's white exactly. boys. Yeah, right. And and that uh, that information can ignite, uh, like they were saying, you know, this is an old story and whatever, but like it can ignite. Uh, what is it? 
uh, it can create an it can turn an idea into an action. Right. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, it can it can change potentially your viewpoint and therefore then your behavior at some point later for the, for the good, I would assume. Knock on wood. <laughs> uh, God and willing. God's truth. I want to I want to bring up Simonon again because I I don't think that this is written in a way that's similar to Simonon at all. Definitely but I not. I think yeah. definitely not. But I, in terms of just like bringing up very human emotions and human situations and the horrors of humanity while talking about social issues in a subtle way, I think in that way he's similar to Simonon. Like Simonon can talk about very personal horrors of particular characters in a certain setting. And I felt like this book was similar to that. It was like extremely personal. You felt you like really knew the characters, but the historical elements and the, and the social elements are so apparent as well, but maybe like not overshadowed, but they're intertwined very specifically and intentionally and beautifully. I, I, I think like, uh, I think that's a, that's a good point in the sense that like reading this book and, and I, I watch a lot of reviews cause it's it, like I said, it's kind of a hype book right now. Uh, and, one of the things that I really liked about it, and I mean this as a, as a compliment to the book, there are a lot of ways to have really bad takes on this book. Um, like, uh, even some of the Booker reviews or the stuff that they put on the, the Booker page when it was announced that it won the prize or whatever, it was like, this is a book about redressing, you know, the issues of colonialism and like da 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 and it is sort of in the way that some of Simonon's books are about the political issues that Simonon talks about, but it's also not right. Like if you read that about this book and then I feel like that would give you a very misleading picture about the experience of reading this book. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to read a, yeah. a Franz Fanon. Exactly. Novel. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And it's not that at all. But, but similarly, it would, be, it would be an equally grievous mistake to do the cliff reading, which is like, oh, it's just about a dude in war and sex and death. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like, like it's, it's, it's equally not that. And so like, yeah. it, it invites a bunch of these bad, simplistic takes. Dude, it's not about like ninja dodges out of all of them in this like really yeah, subtle way. So it's not about it really like pussy craters and uh right. gun gun phalluses right, no right. okay well yeah. damn dude fuck yeah. so i don't know i i, I like I, I think that that's uh, to me that was something that i really liked it's like ah there's a lot of ways that you can be wrong about this book and i think that's a good thing yeah i think it's interesting that uh like basic reviewers can like it in dumb ways and still give it good reviews, but it can be better if you think about it in a better way. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what, you know Ima- what I was imagine thinking? talking about a book for more than 10 minutes in a video. Yeah. That's God, a, yeah. what a nightmare. <laughs> Clip you, it. You, you, you know what I was thinking? And, and I think this applies a lot to various things is, um, the notion that like, uh, the, the, tr- like, how how to put this is abstract and I don't have a fully coherent thought about it, but like, I love that for you. That me too. That the truth is kind of um, like uh, fractal, 
And so uh, particular particulars, if you get them right, still translate outward to encompass like the entirety. And so like um, there's a way to still access the truth about the human condition or some element uh, of the world that, you know, and I think this is only really true for like, you know, really great works of art. But I mean, even again, like I'm going to give this book, I like this book a lot, but like I think it still accesses this kind of thing. It's like, if you have, if you have a, a general idea of the fractal shape, no matter where you you approach it from, if you if you get that right, it 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 feels right through time, um, something like that. Well, and I think that's why that that passage you read earlier, Matt, about translation is so central to this book, and and it's it's one paragraph in in a late chapter, a very short chapter. But I think it's so important. And it also makes me wonder about, like, just that line about, you know, to translate is one of the only human activities in which one is required to lie about the details to convey the truth at large. Right. And, and I think that that's sort of one of the reasons that I am not convinced. I don't know enough, you know, in terms of literature to evaluate the style as a modernist. As not, I, I understand that it has some, some similar concerns. And it's World War One and all that stuff. But... It's also very postmodern in that sense about the truth being fractal and sort of like the best we can get is these sort of, um, you know, uh, uh, lens shifted approximations. You know what I mean? That we can hope to sort of capture like some uh, uh, broader right. sense of it. Um, so, so I don't know. In terms of the theming, it's not clear to me that, it, that this is a modernist text in the way that, that, that I've seen it talked about a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. I, I once again, and, modernist and, and postmodernist is even by my, it, yeah. by my account, like I, I get confused. I get confused. Well, and, and, and again, of course, like the, the other thing that makes me think about that is that, you know, I think about, you, you know, this book took me from, you know, Blanchot to Derrida. And that's kind of where my mind went with some of these, some of these passages and of course, Derrida was someone who was deeply concerned with the concept of translation and the idea of translation. And he specifically wrote a lot of his work um, using French terms that were sort of untranslatable, that sort of only made sense in a in a in a, a verbal like way, like the way they sounded. He did a lot of like pun, like the word ontology, which everybody knows right, right now because of Mark Fisher. Um, the reason Derrida coined that term is because ontology and hauntology in French would be pronounced exactly the same. Right. And he thought that was really funny and, and like used it as a way to like make a point. But of course in English, it doesn't translate in precisely that way. Uh, because we do pronounce the H where the French wouldn't. And, 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 and so it sounds different. Yeah, so like the uh, the quintessential archetypal statement here would be translation. Translation is a lie. Yeah, yeah. But it's Which a lie, like, like he says, to 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 try to get at a truth. Yeah, it's like a a lie that you have to live with. Yeah, it's like you know in the in the song "Liars" by Kanye West on Donda. 
He goes, uh, Anthony Fontano, come on the show. I'm going to, he says, uh, let's be honest, we're all liars. You know? Exactly. That's what they're talking about, too. How do you I got say pulled over and I got priors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't make me talk about the story of you getting pulled over, man. Yeah, yeah, chill, yeah. chill, chill. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> I want to talk about it bad. No, 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 no. Patreon oh, only. Immaterial. That's right. Actually, that's double Patreon only. That's triple Patreon only. Triple yeah. Patreon only. <laughs> <laughs> if you made it this far and want to ask, and it's and you're a Patreon subscriber or right. supporter, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's OnlyFans is telling his pullover story. You give him a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm uncomfortable. Well. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. God. Now. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you guys wanted to say or read? Yeah, I can't believe I we're wanted... about to put these people in fucking houses. Dude. I, <laughs> I wanted to introduce Sometimes a new segment. Sometimes it's just not cool. Sometimes it just doesn't work. I did want to introduce a new segment if you guys are okay. Whoa, what? New segment alert. Wee-oo, wee-oo. wee-oo. My new segment, I don't have a theme song for it or anything. I just It's a new idea that I'm introducing to the boys right now. It's a uh, best Scrabble word of the book. Oh, dude, I love that. I love that yeah? as a segment. You like that? Yes. Uh, uh, I'm. I, I was unaware got, that I it was gonna be one, so I didn't yeah, think about yeah, that. Yeah. So answer, like, but... reread the book real quick in the next <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> okay. So but, talk about the segment. Why is this a good segment? While I find a word. Well, Scrabble is fun, and if you want to win, you need more words that are good. Uh, it's fun because you get to read a book and and like if a weird word pops up uh, that you're like, what is that word? Or like, that's a long word. You can bank it in your Scrabble vocabulary mind palace. So I think you're uh, your cave kingdom, if you were. Yes. One of my problems your is already that, that foreign words are obviously disallowed in English Scrabble, correct? always. It depends. If they have widespread it, not in common use, use in English, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can you got to look it up. You All know. right, I have, I, I have my answer. Um, okay. My Fuck. answer, and Paul can go next. Okay. Uh, and I just looked in the official Scrabble dictionary. This is not a word, but, I, but this, would be <laughs> one, this, is, this would be one that I would add. Um, and I'm thinking in terms of, okay, so I'm already, you've got me spiraling because I actually play Scrabble a lot. I grew up with my grandmother playing Scrabble and, uh, it's probably why I'm competitive now. Partially. <laughs> because she, of your grandma. Yeah. I mean, she beat my ass so bad every time and she was merciless. Didn't. She didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, she's like, you lost, you like, lost. You suck, you fucking idiot. Like you're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> my aunt is like that. Yeah. Uh, my my Scrabble word from this book would be would be dem, the soul eater oh. word. Dem, uh, wow. dem, and it's a good yeah. word because I was gonna say that by the way, okay. not just no you cap. Do, I was gonna say it too. You have it too, because it's a good Scrabble word because it's short. You could there's a lot of words that either end or begin with with most of those letters, uh, and so you could you could stack it on another word and get a bunch of points and d. 
I think D is two points in Scrabble, and I think M's are three, which is pretty decent. So if you can get a D, E, double M down on like a double word score or triple word score or something, you're going to get some points. Wow. Fuck. I just realized that I, even though I invented this segment, I did not think it through. <laughs> so, <laughs> And my word is probably like not great for Scrabble, but it's a good word to know. Uh, my word is transhumans, um, which I thought was just a good word in the book. And it, it means the action or practice of moving livestock from one grazing ground to another in a seasonal cycle. I had to look that um, one up, too. That's a great word. It's transhumans. Tra- yeah. Is that how that it's sounds pronounced? So, no, I have no idea. I just it sounds so close to transhumanism. Yes, I know. Which I thought was like. Again, that's one of the things about translation. I wonder how that would read in French, thinking again about Derrida. Yeah. I don't have one, guys. I'm sorry. You said them. You well, have them. This is the first the first time we did this. Yeah, you can't spring this on me. I, I, I would I want to think about this so hard yeah. and I can't. I'm sorry right I sprung it. I thought it would be interesting to spring it though. I like it. Yeah. There but is I a mean, lang- also- there is a uh, there's a language uh, that uh, Pendo Bas speaks, which is full full day. That That's would, a good one. I that'd probably be nice as like a thing you knew. Fs are I think four points. So double yeah, F. That's good. F F U L F U L. Yeah. D E. That's that's a good word. I feel like that would be a nice thing to know. You could lose some uh, you know oppressive letters there too if you if you were, you know. No, that's a good yeah. one. Dude, that's a good one. Full full day. Full full. There we go. Nice. So you guys like the segment? I I think we should keep it. Dog, I, I love it. it. Yeah, I love good. it, dude. That's such a good. Fun. That's such a good one. That's a great segment. Sick. Should we still do? We just read a book. I think we book? probably oh. should. We promised we were going to do it literally at the beginning of the show. Paul brought it up, so. Well, what, can we can have two segments? I mean, of course, of course. Yeah. But I we have occasionally not done <laughs> the sorting hat one because it's. Fucking <laughs> when did we not do it? We did it. Oh, we did it. You know what? We did it for a mocking verse. Mm. We didn't do it. Me and Gabe didn't do it. Yeah, that's a oh. YouTube video. That's different. It's Go different. subscribe to our YouTube channel. Yeah, please. Um, okay. All right. Let's let's give it a shot. I do. Yeah. It does. It, it doesn't feel great, but we have to do it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and thankfully, there's only a few characters that I think are even plausible to to talk about. You know who doesn't like transhumans? <laughs> <laughs> J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. <laughs> oh fuck. <laughs> oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, okay. Uh. <laughs> uh. All right. What okay. characters? Ooh. What characters are we cooking Ooh, with? Really? Okay. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think we're cooking with. I, I can see basically three, like arguably four. Um, Madamba. Yeah. Alpha, Captain Armand. Armand makes your list. I, I don't know. Well, who was your third? Uh, uh, I was going to say uh, the dad. Okay. Yeah. Damn. The maybe dad. there's more. Maybe there's more. I was going to say the dad and the mom and then Alpha the, and Madame. The dad and Pendoba. Yeah. And, and, oh shit. All right. Yeah, you're right. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Like so Armand is like Armand five? is interesting, but he's he's 
Is he just too he, obviously a Slytherin? He's just, he's across the board. Like, his assessment is so um, final, you yeah. know? Final solution. Okay, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, later, yeah. All right, well, so then, what, what, later. About, what about, Next war. what about, Fari? V- what about Fari <laughs> Tiam? Armand is going to be in Vichy, France, for sure, just <laughs> eating it up. Uh, uh, okay. The dad. We want to do the, the dad. The dad. We just, we're I think just he's start. a Gryffindor. The dad seems like a Chad. Yeah, just like wholesome I mean, that scene, there's, a, there's a scene where he stands up to the chief of his town and yeah, that's lays, right. lays him on his ass. Gryffindor. When, when the when the chief was like, "Oh, we all need to start growing peanuts because it's going to be more profitable," and he just fucking Ben Shapiro style wrecks. He You want to have peanuts? Uh, you want to you oh, want to introduce well, peanuts? peanuts? Well, um, uh, if we all grow peanuts, then the price of peanuts will go down, and therefore we won't be making any money. And uh, then I'll have to go to your shop that you own and buy goods from you, sir. So who's right. really winning out in that arrangement? <laughs> It sounds like you, and therefore I do not follow for your scheme. <laughs> I think he's a Gryffindor. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree. The dude doesn't care about repercussions. Sad? He's, also... he's definitely a sad Gryffindor, but he's a Gryffindor. Well, he wasn't a sad Gryffindor even. Like, who knows what his, like, deal was prior to Pendoba. True, true, true. I mean... You know, he say what you want about before. about yeah before polygamy. Pedro, uh, he was a stately old old man, Chad. Right, yeah. and he and and he got Pendleba through through being generous and sharing his wealth with yeah, kind of count kind of counter to custom, like yes, right. You know, like uh, he the, the he talks about uh being able to practice the. What sacred art of hospitality? Yes, dude. That he's, that he's shit like fucking Danny is Meyer. awesome. <laughs> yeah, he's like review bra. <laughs> I think that makes him a Gryffindor. Yeah, he's definitely a Gryffindor. Yeah. All right. What about the mom? What about Pendoba? Ah, shoot, Raven. It's mm. a tough one. I think she's a Hufflepuff, dude. Yeah, she, but family. It, but in a good way. In like a, yeah, she misses her family and she, she misses her lifestyle and that, that like, she's very loyal to her family. Yes. Loyalty can extend to, uh, yes, like I would say lifestyle and, and that being sort of a shorthand for culture. For sure. Definitely. When you hear your family, Hufflepuff. When you hear your family, our podcast. When our podcast. <laughs> our uh, unofficial one to two times mentioned slogan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bottomless uh, breadsticks for your ears. <laughs> <laughs> because our episodes are long. That's why. Yeah, yeah, they're so long. <laughs> this one too. <laughs> yeah, this is like this is going to be like our third longest episode. <laughs> Whatever. I did not Fuck. expect that at all. No, me either. One of our most yeah. short books we've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we were literally debating if it was a novella or not and like yeah. three hours later <laughs> I was thinking earlier when you said long story short we should make a new term that's just novel novella short story long <laughs> long episode long yeah short story long uh, okay uh, alright now we're down to the uh, the big two then. meat and potatoes the meat and potatoes which is a duality yes uh, Let's do, uh, I guess let's do Mademba. All right. 
Medemba is also, I feel, ah, shoot. I think he's I got think some Raven. I think he's pretty clearly a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Yeah, he like oh, memorized yeah, he's, like, the Quran. He like, wants yeah. to go to France to get to like learn at French colleges and. But he's also he very these, brave these for wanting to join the war. That's true. He does have a lot of. But pride he's he's not bra- like bravery. But his bravery extends not through the mode of sacrifice, but through the mode of education. Right. Like he he yeah. he wants to join the war in order to expand experience, it's and a, that makes yes, him Ravenclaw. Exactly, dude. And also, I would say when he's on his deathbed, when his guts are out of his body, he's very well spoken. Yeah. Okay. That, that was actually one that of that was fucking Gryffindor, dude. He was a Chad when he was dying. He was a Chad, but he was so well spoken. I was like, this is Ravenclaw type. He sounds kind of like here. a pussy bitch when he was. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he doesn't though. Well, he does after like three hours of his guts hanging out of his kill me. Stomach. But at, no, the, beginning, he's at like... the beginning, but at the beginning, he's like. <laughs> I'm, jo- I'm joking. At the beginning, he's Chad though. He's looking, looks his friend in the eye, and like, dude, I love you, man. I need you to kill me right now. You gotta cut my throat yeah, open. Which yeah, is pretty G. Yeah, but I that's, still think dude, yeah, that's Gryffindor or uh, uh, Ravenclaw for his just fundamentals, yeah. his motivations. Yeah, I agree. Okay, yeah, I agree. The big one, Alpha. Slytherin. It's a tough one. Ooh, Slytherin. I'm leaning towards He's a Slytherin demon. as well. He's know, a demon at I the know, end. I know, but, but, but that's... But, <laughs> but that's not dude, him. That's someone possesses the, the him after he was Slytherin sorted into the bad. house. Um, I don't think it is. I think actually because of the fact that Alpha is not a bad person necessarily, it makes it not a caricature, but I think he still is. That's true. He's some he total is a... He literally uh, says, uh, I only think for myself like five times. He is yeah. a cause of violence and he's self-centered. Or is he... Hear me out. Bad Gryffindor. Where he's like, okay. you know, I'm thinking for myself. I'm trying to be do the he's he is trying to do the right thing in his own weird, perverse way. He thinks sure. of himself as trying to pursue doing the right thing. Yeah, but so does Voldemort. Well, does he a lot know? of bad people does in general like think that? A lot of bad people in general, yeah. But does true. Voldemort think that? Well, Voldemort is also not the epitome of Slytherin. Does any Slytherin think that? Probably. What? That I'm doing the right thing? Well, but... no, no, no. Like, like, I feel like a lot of Slytherin are sort of pretty explicit about, like, this is for me. This is for my own advantage. Which he does say also, though. I only think I only yeah. think about myself and for myself. I mean, but, he but clearly states that, by which is like the most... other experiences, other behaviors. I don't know. I uh, I don't think he really gives any Gryffindor like behaviors in in the whole book. I, we probably should have mentioned it, but he. I think this is one of the ironies in the book too: is that he, for bringing home Madamba's body, he wins a medal for bravery. Yeah, yeah. Which is he gets like three like quad de guerre. Yeah, exactly. Uh, medals which is like totally, totally perverse and ironic because it was a cowardly act. I mean, were you guys not thinking about the Forrest Gump scene with Bubba and Forrest brings Bubba's body back? Oh, Because I totally I, was. I, I wasn't until just now, but it makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, where Forrest is like running running bodies back and he gets the Medal of Honor from uh, Nixon or whatever. Yeah. Uh, All right, final answer. Yeah. Slithy. He's, he's a slithy. He's a slithy. 
I'm, I think sti- I'm sticking. I'm sticking with bad Gryffindor. Or I'm gonna go with with like potentially good Slithy. It. I can't even say good Slithy because he raped someone, even yeah, though he's possessed. He's definitely not. Yeah. But it's like he literally calls himself a Mamba. Slithy. Yeah, he does. Yeah. 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 Or is he bad Hufflepuff? He's loyal to his friend. He tries to avenge his death. No, you can't. You can't suckle in all friendship into Hufflepuff. <laughs> suckle. No, that's true. You're <laughs> you, right. you can't. Someone's been talking about the female body too much reading this book. <laughs> I'm horny. <laughs> mm, I'm horny. Ah, the trench. The trench. Uh, <laughs> Paul's gonna go jerk off to old World War One pictures. Yeah, just yeah. mud <laughs> trenches, mud holes. Yo, dude. Google trench foot pics. <laughs> that works because I have a foot fetish. It's all, it's all coming full circle. Nice. I'm so glad. Oh, yeah. Circle like a butthole. <laughs> oh, trench foot. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> have you guys ever seen a uh, cannon? Oh, my God. What? <laughs> all right. Well, it's, uh, I think it's score time. Yeah. It's score time. I I thankfully don't have to go first because this is not pick. Ooh, not first. Ooh, Matt has to go first. I yo I you know it's fine with me. Fine, I'll go first. I'm not mad. Go first? I'm not mad, dude. You're mad. I'm not even mad. No, I'm fine. It's a three point six. I'm gonna go first. Oh, what'd you say? I said a three point six. Three point six. Yeah. Nice. All right. Three point six even. Uh, I'm going a four twenty. Four twenty. Yeah. This is a. I, th- I really like this book. Yeah, I, I don't uh, agree, but I, I. It's a, such a cool number. Four. Tw- this four, book four deserved a fucking cool number. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm in between. Yeah, I'm in between. I'm uh like a three point nine three. Nice. Uh, wait. So, uh, I, I. Yeah, I really like this book. I think that it was very, fucking good, and and it it definitely. I haven't. I didn't read any of the other nominees for the the International Booker Prize. Uh, nah. But th- I mean, I'm not mad that this won because I think it was really good. Well, I mean, we didn't really do closing statements. Yeah. But my closing statement would be like, bad <laughs> do we do scores like dumb dumbs? We usually do. We usually we do usually... a little bit of a yeah. justification, like why did we give it this score? I mean, I I really like the writing style a lot. Uh, we didn't talk about this on the podcast yet, on the pod yet. But I listened to half this book, basically on audiobook, and it was really fucking awesome. I actually would recommend doing that. I actually, this is like the first book I've recommended. I I think I've recommended like listen to the audiobook and not reading it. It was a great experience. Mm. I forget who the guy's name was, but shout out. He read it. He read it perfectly, and he had the accent. Um, <laughs> but I also think that, uh, it's a, it's a good coming of age type book for a younger adolescent in some ways. Um, but not only that, I think it had, has a lot to offer anybody. And I also think it's the best book we've read on the podcast past 2000 for sure. No question. I mean, I, no yeah, question. Easily. Like easily. top of the ranks for yeah. sure. This is the, this is, this is like the best four, modern book we've read on the show for like yeah. Bike oh, the factory, by the way, is the other one we didn't mention. Oh, okay. Oh shit, yeah, the factory. That book was good too. That this is good, still better. I think this is this better. Is better. I'll, I'll, I want to look at your scores for the factory. Maybe it's not. Um, I'm looking. At, I was looking at the scores right now, actually, because I was like, I what I, are they? Because I just forget what I rated other so shit. The, so the factory 
Uh, Matt, you did not like it. Apparently, you give it. I a didn't. Two point seven eight. Okay. Whoa. Uh, Paul, you give it a three point seven six five four. Two point seven eight. Also, by the way, not not liking it. Yeah, just, no, 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 just for no, no. the yeah, record. Yeah, yeah. We 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 take our numbers seriously here. Two point five is two five is, is neutral. Yeah, is exactly. neutral. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we need no, to keep right. that in mind. <laughs> You're right. A, I mean, but like to be real though, it's I gave it a generally speaking, it's a kind of a low score to be under the three mark. Well, but I mean, the, but this is the thing, right? Like we know our tastes. We try to pick books we think we're gonna like. If we just grab random shit off the shelf, we'd be handing out a lot of zeros and ones. Yeah, that's true. You know, three point six yeah. I think is a very respectful score to a book that I think through the podcast, if you've listened at all. <laughs> I, I have a lot to say about as well and think was uh, just in general worth your time. Yeah, 100%. Read it. Uh, but the four, the four, man, the four is, is sacred to me almost. It's like you really got to fucking crack some other thing with the me. The four is I, tough. I mean, we probably should talk about at the beginning of each show going forward. No one's listening anymore, so I'm just going to talk about this now. Yeah. Right. We should probably at the at, up front <laughs> in each show talk about... Uh, like our scoring system, like, 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 you know, I think we, we all sort of agreed at the beginning of the show, like five is life changing, right? Like five is, there's like a before and after this book, right? The mountain lion was, it was a five for us. And I stand by that. We can revisit it. Uh, That's my favorite book, but five is like, there's before I read this book and after I read this book. Like, you know what I mean? In your own life. Yeah. To me, I think the difference... And four is, four is like, one of the best books I've ever read. Like, probably... No, I mean, like for me, it's like, it's like above yes. 4.4 or 4.5 that it comes into play. I hear that. But, like, above that. four, like, I'm, I'm more lenient on above fours. Yeah, I hear that. Which is why I, I, I already, I was just looking back at the scores. I, I need to revisit my... Score last week for correction. I, I don't think that was a four plus, but I give it over. I think I need to too because I think that's more of like a two point five for me. I want to change it. <laughs> I mean, we'll you're do, right though. Like, we'll like do an time, time where we revisit our scores. Like t- time affects things either negatively or positively too, right? And just you know? new experiences, so. having read more books and et cetera. Right, your own personal experiences could make you more amenable or less. And then what you read, yeah. Both. Yeah. Like it's after like, I watched The Dark Knight, my life was changed. <laughs> <laughs> I, after I watched I re- Toy Story, I was like, Jesus Christ, what's there, going on? There's a before and after. <laughs> yeah. That is a five bagger for sure. <laughs> Toy Story. New Matt. All right, everybody. New Thanks Matt. for listening. If you're yeah. still here, you're an absolute you're not fucking here. legend. Preach. Preach. <laughs> preach. Fucking preach. Fucking preach. Love Thank you. Subscribe to our YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. Uh.